The year 1997 started off without any particular fanfare. NASA began repairs on the Hubble Space Telescope. A smooth-talking hillbilly from Arkansas was inaugurated for his second term in the White House. The Green Bay Packers won the Super Bowl for the first time since 1967. Yeah, go Packers. But on March 7th of that year, everything changed. On that day, a movie was released that shook America, nay, the world, to its core. This movie gave voice to a long unspoken question that has forever lurked in the shadows at the edges of human consciousness. What if there were two jungles? And what if one of those jungles was actually a city? And what if we could travel between the two jungles? After this question was unleashed on an unsuspecting movie-going public, the intellectual and social upheaval it wrought on our society was profound. Indeed, merely 48 hours after the release of the Tim Allen film Jungle to Jungle, the rapper Biggie Smalls lay dead at the age of 24. I'm Truman Caps. Here with me is my co-host Landon Solano, and over the course of the next 28 episodes of Grunt Work, we're going to prove how those two events were related. Oh my god. Landon, I'm so glad you could be with me today for our discussion of the film Jungle to Jungle. I, I wish you were more into hip-hop, because there is definitely a joke in there somewhere to tie the Biggie Tupac scandal into Jungle to Jungle, because there's the two in the Jungle to Jungle equates to the two in Tupac. Oh, that's... Is this evidence of an inside job. You know, now now I'm going to throw a curveball here with the limited uh, hip-hop knowledge that I do have. I'm aware okay. that Shaggy Too Dope is a member of the Insane Clown Posse, and I'm also aware <laughs> that the FBI at one point designated Juggalos as a potential uh, like terrorist threat or gang uh-huh. threat. Jungle Too Jungle, Shaggy Too Dope, I'm, I'm connecting the yarn on the cork board. Clearly there's something here, folks. <laughs> just looking at it and going, hmm, okay. What else has a number two in it? Uh, hmm. Hmm. I mean, Austin Powers two, the spy who shagged me. We got to put. Uh, we got to put uh, Mike Myers up there. That's that in came, the future. That did come out in the future, but and also doesn't have the number two in it. No, it does have the number two. Austin Powers two. Is it? Too? I thought it was just Austin Powers colon the spy who shagged me. No, it was definitely Austin Powers two because if they oh, didn't put the wow. two in there. People wouldn't have understood. They were thinking, "Oh, oh, wait, a whole separate Austin Powers continuity, one that is one that is individual and on its own, not a continuation of the events from the original Austin Powers International Man of Mystery." We were already thinking of the alternate universe theory back in 1997. <laughs> the, the, the multiverse, but only for Austin Powers. Austin Powers 2 into the Austin Powers verse. Oh my god, don't give Mike Myers ideas for playing more characters in a single film. <laughs> you know, it doesn't matter if we... Uh, we can give him as many ideas as he wants. I don't think he can get the funding behind them. I mean, if... <laughs> Austin Powers, uh, uh, Mike Myers, I'm sure, has had plenty of ideas in the past 10 years or so, and they have not made it to the screen, save for the gong show. Folks, we're not oh here to God. talk about... No. We're not here to talk about Austin Powers, although it seems like we're doing that more and more often, so we should explore that at some point. We're here to talk about Jungle to Jungle, a movie Jungle starring... Jungle A movie starring Tim Allen, who uh, you not may have an, noticed... An, yes? <laughs> to clarify, not Jungle 2, colon Jungle... It's much to, you know, the confusion that people have of, like, Cradle 2, 
colon the grave, which is not the case. It's col it's cradle to the grave, not cradle to colon the grave. Yeah. No, I, and I mean, listen, I am, as we all are, a huge fan of the English kind of neo-funk band Jungle. And of course, I love their <laughs> self-titled debut album, Jungle. And so when I first heard that we were going to be doing Jungle to Jungle, you know, when our producers told us what we were going to be covering, I am totally uninvolved in these decisions. I thought, oh, great, we're going to be covering the second album by the band Jungle. Um this is a movie episode that usually takes about two and a half hours to do. Why are we wasting so much time? Why are we wasting so much time? You're right. There's no look. Okay, do you have any preamble stuff up front? What do you want to talk I about do. before we start talking about the movie? Okay, because <laughs> I, I have do. some as well. Okay, you go first though. I I want to give a synopsis of the film first uh, because it ties in. Uh, yes, and I think it it gives some context. So yes. we're talking jungle to jungle. Disney's jungle to jungle. Yes, um, <clears throat> as you said, starring Tim Allen and. Sam Huntington? Yes, that's um, correct. With uh, a... And, yeah. And someone else. Martin Short. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. Total King. Lola Davidovich. Yes. And uh, Lolita Lisa Sobieski. And yes. uh, Joe Beth Williams, the mm-hmm. the wife of the director of this film, John Pasquin, who what? we certainly know. Yes. Oh, we know him. Okay. We went through the specs. Um. Let me give you a little synopsis of what this movie's about if you haven't seen it before. (laughs) Michael is a Wall Street bigwig who is soon to be married. However, before his wedding to a New York fashion designer, he must secure the divorce from his previous wife, who left him to go live in a tribe in the Amazon. When he arrives, he finds out that when his wife had left him, she was pregnant with his son, who is now a teenager. Tim is flummoxed and somewhat flattered, yet still eager to get back to New York and get on with his life. But his son, uh, named Mimisiku, Mimisiku, yes, wants to go back to New York with him. Thus begins a whole lot of wacky misadventures and whatnots that take us through a story to its conclusion. Uh, That's essentially it. My biggest takeaway from your synopsis, which was great, honestly. Listen, Landon, I know you think this. There's Russians. There's (laughs) spiders. For some fucking reason. There were so many spiders. Listen, (laughs) you might be listening to this right now. A lot of fish. You might be thinking that... (laughs) A cat. A lot of animals being put into mortal peril in a way that you don't normally see in a movie directed bird anymore. Dead bird that you see die on camera. (laughs) Fucking cannibal holocaust. (laughs) Uh, it's um listen you might be at home audience thinking landon kind of half-assed the synopsis no he did not because the movie is basically just yep the kid comes to new york with him and then hijinks that's really that's really what happens here um yes now now here this is my preamble what's your preamble landon i don't know if you how closely you were watching the credits but did you catch that this was based on oh another work Oh, Landon, I caught that, and I did some research on it, and I think, based on knowing you for as long as I have, you've done some similar research. Do we want to talk about the movie that Jungle to Jungle is based on, Little Indian Big City? I do, because I watched it. What? (laughs) You fucking freak! You fucking disgusting pervert! You watched Little Indian Big City, a movie... (laughs) A movie so bad that Roger Ebert said, "If I, under oh, I any- have that, that's this is my preamble. I, I've written down <laughs> uh, 
uh, I wrote excerpts down. I'll let you read them, but I wrote excerpts down of both Little Indian Big City, which is the name of the the French version. This is a came out in '94. <clears throat> um, French version that wasn't released in America till 1996 after Disney had uh, purchased the rights. They wanted to, um, the filmmakers from the French version wanted to get it an American dubbed release to try to drum up as much money and interest in Jungle to Jungle as possible before that movie came out. They, they had to prime the pumps for the Jungle to Jungle <laughs> revolution. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I have excerpted. Uh, uh, Part of Ebert's review for Little Indian Big City, as well as part of it, uh, his review for Jungle to Jungle. Okay, well, um, he th- this is the movie that he said, if you, under any circumstances, see Little Indian Big City, I will never let you read one of my reviews again. It, oh, it's it's better than that, sir. <laughs> oh, I mean, I've no, I read the whole review. That's just oh, like that you, oh, you did. That you, that I, you well, closed I thought yourself it would off. appeal to you because. Yeah. Oh, well, oh. I'm going to start. I have the 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 first paragraph yeah. of his review and the very last paragraph of his review. They're they're juicy paragraphs. <clears throat> Give it to me. Give just it to me. For this is for the French version. Yes, for uh, Little Indian Big City, the movie that Jungle to Jungle was based on. <laughs> Little Indian Big City is one of the worst movies ever made. Mm-hmm. I detested every moronic minute of it. Yep. Through a stroke of good luck, the entire third <laughs> reel of the film was missing the day I saw it. I went back to the screening room two days later to view the missing reel. It was as bad as the rest, but nothing could have saved this film. As my colleague Gene Siskel observed, if the third reel had been the missing footage from Orson Welles' The Magnificent Ambersons, this movie still would have sucked. Could not have put it better myself. So good. So good. And Such an can, epic he, takedown. Yes, and the final. Concludes. Yes. He concludes, this is why I thought it would appeal to you, Truman. I did. He concludes his review by saying, there is a movie called Fargo playing right now. It is a masterpiece. Go see it. Yes. If you, under any circumstances, see Little Indian, Big City, I will never let you read one of my reviews again. And you, you... You took that risk. You sacrificed the ghost <laughs> of Roger Ebert preventing you from reading another one of his beautifully written reviews of movies. Well, I, I, to be fair, I started watching the movie before I read the, this review. So, um, Oh, Jesus, Landon. I think I get out on a technicality there. Really? Okay, you think so? All right, well... Uh, okay, what uh, did you what did you glean from Little Indian Big City? I've only read about Little Indian Big City. I heeded this warning and I didn't go see it. You're like the people in the 1999 Brendan Fraser film The Mummy who read from the book and curse themselves to be haunted by the mummy. It you is, didn't know what you were doing. I read from the Necronomicon. Um, okay, uh, let me put it this way. If you stare at a wall I, at a certain point... <laughs> If you do it long enough, the white void of the wall will give way to the images of your brain to make you see things that aren't there. Mm-hmm. Getting very when philosophical. At, Shadows on the wall. You st- Plato. When you stare at Little Indian Big City, it doesn't even provide you with the blank slate of your mind to entertain you. It's just... <laughs> It is literally just moving pieces on a screen that I have to imagine is like what the experience a cat has of looking at moving things on an iPad screen. It, it's it's lights and colors. It's it's the they're it's moving the... around and you know it maybe has some sort of interpretation to some higher uh, species of being than myself, but I can't make any sense of it. 
it's the cinematic equivalent of taking your car keys and jangling them in front of a baby's face to keep it entertained is what you're saying. It was it was bad, man. I mean, it worse than jungle to jungle. Jungle to jungle at least has familiarity in terms of its kind of Hollywood bubblegum approach. Like I can put on jungle to jungle and go, okay, they're setting this up and I can kind of, you know, in my brain play by the numbers to see how it's going to to come out by the end. The (laughs) little Indian big city is just like, I, I, there's not a word for it. It, It's like a mind void. It it, it just (laughs) sucks all, all reason out of your head. I mean, it's it's it is like the movie equivalent of the Men in Black Neuralizer. I I love that this French children's comedy destroyed both you and Roger Ebert. Like this, <laughs> this movie is like the. <laughs> It's like the movie from either the Masters of Horror episode or the American Horror Stories episode that drives people insane and turns them into <laughs> mindless zombies. Like yes. you, you, you've you really found the film that can destroy your humanity. It, it is. It's like you know there there are like jokes in the the eighties a lot when TV was kind of you know there's the controversy of it rotting people's brains and turning them into zombies and stuff. And you always get these shots of like the American family just kind of staring like. Um, uh, Repo Man does it where mm-hmm. there's just yeah. like zombies sitting on the couch staring at the TV you know with a vacant stare on their face not yeah. even that it's like stimulating rage or any emotion in people it's just like something that's trans you know transmuting your brain trans you know just going into your brain and turning it to sludge yeah, yeah. Um, that's exactly what it is. I, I feel like I'm belaboring this point, but um, <laughs> I well, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> we could have just read the Roger Ebert review to give people the impression that Little Indian Big City, the yep. source material for this movie, is bad. But you have gone, you you did your extra homework. You're getting extra credit for this one. <laughs> well, thank you. So uh, okay, so the, but now now based on mm-hmm, my mm-hmm. reading of the full review that Roger Ebert posted that basically summarizes the film, I would yeah. Rod, uh, so Little Indian Big City more or less the same movie as Jungle to, like it follows all oh, the yes. same plot points, which so, is all the more confounding that you know when when adapting it for American screens, like why wouldn't you take the opportunity? to make it better this is exactly my point based on my reading (laughs) like disney like disney knew all this they had the ebert review this is a movie that was universally panned by critics audience hated it i don't i'm not led to believe it made very much money it seems like in the u.s release little indian big city made less than a million dollars it made seven hundred thousand yeah well i mean it is a foreign you know release that's that's coming to america which is already sloppily dubbed yes it's sloppily dubbed it you know has the card stacked against it to begin with so i mean even in the best of circumstances i don't think it would have made a bunch of money even so even so disney looked at this movie that everyone hated and their reaction was you know what the problem is it's in French. Make it in English. No <laughs> other notes. That, like, everything else about it is fine. It's just it's in that weird-ass European language that they don't speak in this maybe, country. Maybe it goes to show how much cachet there was behind Tim Allen. Like, the, just the fact of putting him in this and saying, hey, listen, we're going to team you back up with John Pasquin. You're going to have a shorthand creatively with everyone. 
Uh, you know, it's going to be an easy peasy job for you. You get in and out and, you know, what, maybe eight weeks and, and you got your paycheck, you got a Disney thing. We got our summer slated movie and, you know, we'll just rake in some easy money. Yeah. Free trip to Venezuela for some, uh, for a few shots and that's that. Yeah. I, um, I don't know. I mean, it, yeah, that, that, that Disney's reaction to the reception for little indian big city was let's just rub tim allen on it let's just home improvementize <laughs> this as much as we can and that will fix it that was the, the the central flaw with the movie is not the characters it's not the story it's not the central premise that everyone hates it's just that tim allen isn't in it doing the exact shtick that he does on home improvement um, well, I should say, so this this will be my personal preamble, which is, I saw oh, this in the multiple theater. Multiple layers of preamble. You saw this in theaters. Okay. I believe I was 14. Outside of seven. the outside yeah, of the uh, age range for this movie, I think. I don't, I, I would disagree with that. I, I, Tim Allen had some kind of overlap appeal from, you know, childhood into, you know, he definitely appealed to adolescence, for sure. Okay. Um, so, you know... I'm sure at the time when I was going into it, seeing Disney being probably a little put off by it, but willing to to hedge my bets with Tim Allen. And, um, you know, I before I put this back on, it's not like I had a gut reaction to go, oh, God, um, I got to watch this movie. You know, I was like, oh, I remember that movie. <laughs> yeah, it was it was pretty neutral. Mm-hmm. Um I mean, I could have, based on, you know, four years of doing the podcast, could have probably went, nah, I don't know how I'm going to feel about this, but, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, so, I don't know, <laughs> definitely had a different reaction to it as an adult. Yeah, um, yeah, as a kid, uh, I, like, there were definitely bits and pieces of this movie where, as I was watching it, I was like, oh, I have vague sense memories of flipping channels at like a slumber party and this was on <laughs> and seeing part of it yeah. uh yeah it's um well, did, I, so okay so you you well okay so what are you your your reflections let's go into our personal reflections uh i've got my personal reflections and then let's get into this thing yes okay my, look my uh my personal reflections um i mean this this movie is not good <laughs> that's a reflection. Uh, I, my, I have an exact sentence here. This movie isn't good. Yeah, it's not good. <laughs> Complete not with good. ellipses. <laughs> really just, there's no way that you can look at this and say that this movie is anything other than real bad. Um, I would say... This movie, I think, is the most emblematic. This is This, this is my whole personal reflection right here. Okay, all right. This movie is emblematic of the 90s uh, culture of dudes in their late 30s, early 40s writing movies for kids based on what they think kids will like. <laughs> With wow. no real... That is... That's insightful. I, it's ins- I Because, you know what? Oh, and, and this is a, a subject that's going to come up again and again throughout the, the next 17 hours of podcast that we're going to record about Jungle to Jungle. But I think only, <laughs> only a couple of writers in their late 30s or early 40s could say, hey, you know what's a good through line for this movie for children? Uh, coffee futures. The trading 
and relative value of coffee futures. Children will love do think, this. Do you think on the way, you know, to his office to write Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones, George Lucas just popped into Disney for a second and said, "Hey, you know what? I'm working on this idea. I was gonna do this like space coffee thing. It's not really working out. So, you know, maybe you guys could have that for an exchange of <laughs> ideas here. This movie was originally about trade disputes towards the planet of Naboo, and they." <laughs> they just did a little a little swaparoo. Um yeah, the, the, this movie is just I think there's a way that bad movies are made now as exemplified yeah. by movies like Space Jam 2, which is where they basically take an idea that's been rattling around and have six or seven different writers who have never had contact with one another do passes <laughs> right. on it. And basically just write the equivalent of kids like walking down the toy aisle, uh, looking at every single uh, toy there is on the shelf. Why don't we just do the movie equivalent of that where we just put everything they're familiar with on screen at the same time and overwhelm them uh, without any real substance to it? Exactly. Exactly. It's it's pretty much uh, it's pretty much film studio executives in their mid 50s dictating their thoughts of what they think kids will like to half a dozen writers in their mid-30s who just take the assignment, take the paycheck, and yeah. and write down what the executives want, and that is cobbled together into a movie. That's what we do now. In the 90s, it was, we're going to hire two writers, maybe, to adapt something with what they I've think is names. good. Yes, I've uh, got, yeah, one of them wrote Stand By Me. But they both did. Yeah, they're they both, both did. Oscar-nominated for Stand By Me. <sighs> Man. Uh, Bruce A. Evans and uh, Reynold Gideon. Listen, um, if if you if listen, guys, if you want to see a dead body, watch Jungle to Jungle, cause woof. <laughs> uh, okay, can I? I'll jump into my personal. Reflections. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jump um, into your personal reflections. I, I don't think you know people need to uh, guess too much about how I felt about this, but I have a few points I want to make. Um, one, this feels like just like the worst version of the tool man character yes uh you know like what's worse than the paltry power that feeds his megalomania from a regional cable access show uh, be- being a being in the stock market being <laughs> that's a, right yeah yeah the power of increasing profit margins at the cost of social and environment environmental dignities so that you can afford to lobby governments for the ability to exponentially and disproportionately grow your wealth so that you can fly on a space rocket ship a life-size pocket rocket while saying, "Wee," you know, a stockbroker who thinks that capitalism needs more power, basically. Okay, so I'm conflicted. Um, this experience of, of watching this movie, uh, this is kind of like pulling back the sheet a little bit, okay? Okay. Uh, we, we pull back sheets a lot on this podcast. <laughs> but this one will be a veil, then. I'm pulling the veil back. Um, get ready for a smoocher. It's a wedding a wedding reference. Yeah, If you've ever good. been to a, a wedding. <laughs> one or two. <laughs> The experience, this experience brought to mind, like, the argument around Mystery Science Theater 3000, mm-hmm. where there are some, like, stodgy old fogies who, you know, hate Mystery Science Theater because they feel it's unfairly making fun <laughs> of the movies they loved as a kid. Well, um, one, of, one of those old fogies is celebrated American author Kurt Vonnegut, but yes, continue. <laughs> I... <laughs> It's a great well, tension one of my, of my favorite life. directors, uh, Joe Dante, hates the show what? Uh, for the, that same reason. Oh, man. But, you know, the, the other side of the argument is you know, that the people doing Mystery Science, the creatives behind it, love these movies. They love bad movies. And it's yeah. a way of um, you know, in, 
engaging with it and creating a new type of art through it while introducing and exposing new generations to these movies they wouldn't have ever seen otherwise. Yeah. Um, so, like, okay, they're able to repurpose that, you know, f- with new sensibilities. For this, like, what we're doing here on the podcast, I, I don't like this movie. Yeah. And my jokes and japes, they, they don't come out of love. <laughs> no. I mean, it, they might come in good humor. But, you know, like, I'm not out to unduly bash anyone or anything. Um, And, you know, as problematic (laughs) as this film definitely is, uh, you know, I don't think its negative impact on the world and culture is probably, you know, anything as drastic as, like, a pig with a hangnail in a slaughterhouse, you know? Yeah. (laughs) There's just not... There are bigger... (laughs) bigger problems that other things have uh, cultivated than this movie ever did. Um, but it just kind of like, it made me question my approach to what we're about to do here. Um, so I don't know. I, this movie isn't good. I don't recommend that people watch it <laughs> before they listen to this episode. And, you know, I would say if you enjoyed it in your youth, um, you know, let it live there in those blissful unimpeached memories. Like when you ate your mother's fluffy and buttery mashed potatoes for Sunday dinner, that. If you ate them today, you would realize that she overcompensated with salt and butter to make up for the fact that they're undercooked, undermashed, and really, really, it was the store-bought bread that you dipped in them to make them tolerable that you actually enjoyed. But as an adult, you have problems digesting bread, so you can never actually go back to fully appreciating what you enjoyed about any of it. Landon, I I feel like we've, at some point, we diverted from jungle to jungle to some kind of uh, deeper issues here, and I just want to say... My mom's mashed potatoes were and are amazing. And uh, what's wrong with salt and butter anyway? And you know what? I like bread. <laughs> this I'm just saying it's not the same. It's okay. Not the same. It's not the same. I wish I could have dipped this movie. I wish I could have dipped bread in this movie to make it. <laughs> this movie could have definitely used some butter. Oh, sure. my God. And a lot of. Well, no, this movie was pretty salty. Tim Allen is at his saltiest in this movie. Uh, oh, God. Look, Should we get into it? Let's let's look. Let's get into our canoe or and, <laughs> and paddle into it or sit on the back of the Staten <laughs> Island ferry and ride into I was, it. I was going to say, let's upgrade our seats to first class and sip on some champagne. <laughs> Oh, okay. I mean, while, I, while overlooking the the bending river that we call the deep dive, but uh, you know, if you want to slum it on a the back of a Staten Island ferry, we can do that. Okay. And any look, however we get there, let's get there. So the sooner we get there, the sooner we have to. We the sooner okay. we no longer have to talk about jungle to jungle. We <laughs> well, open. Oh, well, Disney logos, TFI or TF One uh, international logos. Da, 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 da. Wait, that's wild that's, flute music begins. <laughs> very. Very African music, incredibly African music, giving certain impressions about where the jungle is that may or may not be accurate. Okay, first thing is it get... jungle in jungle? Are we? Are, is this a jungle within a jungle? Oh shit! See, now that's an even more dangerous concept than the notion of there being two jungles. <laughs> the idea of jungles within jungles—that's Inception level. Um, the first thing we get, the opening credits are in papyrus, which, yes, oh, is man. the Avatar font. <laughs> what is it about? What is it about colonizers interacting with indigenous cultures that makes filmmakers think? You know what font we need for this? Papyrus. That's the only font that can tell our story properly. It, I, I tell you, as a graphic designer and working with people that have dealt with like 
you know, I did a lot of like flyers that went into, you know, uh, holistic coffee shops. Mm. <laughs> papyrus, papyrus really country. speaks to that crowd in thinking that it, it's it's connecting one to nature. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't feel connected to nature so much as nope. I feel connected to like uh, uh, Photoshop running on Windows XP. That's what I feel. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I feel connected to when I see Papyrus at the start of a movie. Um, we get oh. beautiful, genuinely beautiful, breathtaking opening shots of jungles, mm-hmm. uh, true yes. already to the, the form of the movie. Um, and I, I don't want to diverge too much. We haven't even met someone yet, but um, these were beautiful shots, and it really, like, I don't, I can't remember the last time I saw, like, wide sprawling helicopter shots in a movie yeah. like i just don't watch many you know um movies from the 90s and it really made me notice the difference between a helicopter shot and a drone shot and yeah i kind of miss i i don't know there's something about the helicopter shot i think that's just a little more cinematic i i agree and i don't know how much of that is us i don't know i feel like whenever they find a cheaper easier way to achieve something in film there's always going yeah. to be a bunch of dorks like us going like well, well actually it was better when they used <laughs> models uh but i agree with you looking at these shots i was thinking this is breathtakingly gorgeous footage yeah. i am shocked that this is the first thing i'm seeing in the movie jungle to jungle also <laughs> nothing makes the papyrus font look worse than putting it over <laughs> something that like god's majesty laid out before you and then the kind of uh, uh loose leaf tea company font beneath it telling you who the key grip was uh <laughs> So, oh my god, we, I was sipping on a oolong tea while watching this movie, but <laughs> I, I um, hope that enhanced it. We uh, we see a, a kid rowing down the Amazon. Is it Venezuela, where this kid lives, is a country in South America, but. All of the music that we're hearing and all of the colors that we see in the opening, like, main title, all of that is very African. So what this movie is pretty much saying is just like... Well, I, I, missed, I, I missed the Venezuelan thing. Where, yeah. where did that come in? That, that came in... Uh, I mean, well, the fact that everyone uh, who Tim Allen interacts with has a Spanish accent, the airport has Bienvenidos written on yeah, it, there's a map okay. of Venezuela. Like, they, they don't... And he mentions a couple times, like, when you go to Venezuela, they don't have the chili con fuego or whatever. It, it is it is a jungle in Venezuela, and they make a okay. couple mentions of it. But they, I would, I would say, my impression going in was that the kid was from Africa. And the movie yeah. wants you to think that he's from Africa, even though they say Venezuela, because it's very African music. Interesting. So I, I didn't catch any of the Venezuelan thing, and I thought that they were just going for a really nondescript african you know uh country or you know just uh, village you know they they just wanted to establish that this is deep in the heart of the jungle the african jungle uh, yeah without really being specific as to where i don't know why they didn't just go all the way and just have it be an african country i don't i don't know but yeah it's it's supposed to be venezuela i even went i thought that i went back and checked this i start i watched Scenes from Jungle to Jungle a second time to verify oh this. There is a map in the background of one scene that I initially thought, wait, there's even a map of Africa. And then they later they say it's Venezuela. Nope, it's actually a map of Venezuela. And Venezuela is a very continent of Africa shaped country. Um, okay. <laughs> but they, right. No, but they want to create this confusion. Their, their vibe with the music is that 
all jungles are Africa. So Okay, so uh, that confusion is established. Yes. <laughs> we'll, we'll take that through the rest of the episode. Yes. Can we talk about, um, okay, so the kid's going down the river rowing. He gets to a mountain and starts climbing. Can yep. we talk about the stunt there? I mean, yeah, I'm sure they, they enhanced it with, you know, matte paintings and animation, um, but like, he's, there's he's, a legit stunt person climbing a bluff. Just like free soloing this gigantic yeah. cliff overlooking the most beautiful jungle you've ever seen. <laughs> the the amount of filmmaking it was, on display. It was like one, this is where Tom Cruise got the idea for the beginning of Mission Impossible 2. <laughs> this is where Tom Cruise got the idea for his whole bit as an actor, which is just, I'm going to do wild <laughs> stunts and reverse engineer movies from the stunts. Um... Yeah, so he, yeah, he, the kid, this kid, I should just mention, the kid is white. We've, we have African music. Well, it's uh, Tim Allen's son. Jungle, well, I, I know, I mean, just, the audience didn't, the, the audience of our podcast didn't know that yet, Sorry, but I'm just okay, telling you. Right. We're seeing, the, we see all of these jungles, we hear all this African music playing, and then the, the first thing we see is a white kid with, like, paint on his face, <laughs> tribal paint on his face, paddling a canoe, so... No indigenous people, just vibes. Um, um, so- and I guess I, worth mentioning now, I was going to wait to find the right place to bring this up, but um, there are a lot of indigenous people in this movie, or at least yep. in the beginning of this movie and the end yep. of this movie. Um, <laughs> none of them, not a single one of them are credited. No. <laughs> even even ones that have dialogue. No. So there's that. It's- Look, they, yeah, we'll talk more about it at the time, and we'll hopefully not bludgeon the point too hard that they're not represented well. We see this kid climbing up this this rock face. He's sitting on top of this cliff with a fire, looking out over this just just absolutely beautiful landscape, and he screams primally out Puts at his it. Arms, fists in the air. And okay, and so far, like watching this thus far, I'm thinking like, is Jungle to Jungle gonna be good? Because it looks like a million bucks. <laughs> These opening shots, and you know, not to discredit. John Pasquin. I obviously don't know who did what, but this is this is just all reeks of second unit stuff. I like, yeah. Hey, I'm busy in New York doing you know working with the main actors. Uh, can you head out to Venezuela or wherever they actually shot this? And uh, they they did. <laughs> they, wouldn't they, it be a mi- real mind fuck if they went to Africa to shoot and then <laughs> still claimed that it was Venezuela? <laughs> I I do know they actually shot this in Venezuela. So they do. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah. Right, got it. So. Uh, I guess big ad for for Venezuela. Uh, you know, give give it give it some time. But when it uh, when it gets back to uh, gets back to a more stable state, go see all of the jungle to jungle locations. Um, so, but then so from him screaming, we kind of are panning across it, and then we just crossfade very slowly to a stock trading floor out right out of trading places, and all these just uh, hordes of traders. It's, it's the contrast of jungles. Exactly. See, the movie has established that there are two jungles, and this suggests to us the second jungle might not be the jungle that you expect that it is. There's a guy in in this wide shot of the the stock market floor yeah. that is wearing a like airbrushed uh, blazer that looks like uh, for any of our listeners that um, were big into WWF looks like Jimmy Hart. Jimmy Hart used to uh, airbrush whatever team he was representing at the time onto his blazer. Um, I cannot figure out what this guy's doing on the the trading room floor. I, you know, I, 
as a kid who grew up watching Trading Places, the the movie Trading Pla mm-hmm. Dan Aykroyd, Eddie Murphy movie Trading Places on uh on cable with my parents. Yeah. I had this understanding of the stock market as a place where men in suits yelled and <laughs> that was it. I basically kind of understood there's a lot of yelling and crowds and that's like, this is not for me. Yeah, it's not it's not for I'm me. Going into a creative field. It yes, seems exactly. quiet. <laughs> these these people make more money than me and I'm fine with that. Uh but it's it is it is exactly one of those and you know we're we're among the this horde of of screaming yelling people and we eventually find Tim Allen among the scrum Martin Short first yeah first Martin Short yelling and then Tim who's doing one of his you know physical comedy bit I know I want to say because I'm gonna shit on Martin Short in this this movie oh uh I love Martin Short I yes mean, he is I think one of the few talents that crosses generations I find him yes. as funny today as I did back in the day. So just to say that what he's doing here doesn't work. Uh, almost nothing he does in this movie, short of one or two little sure. flourishes, doesn't, doesn't, work, doesn't work for me. Uh, I, th- this is part of it for me. I Look, I, I agree with you. What Martin Short is is doing in this movie doesn't work. And it's especially pronounced for me because I've been watching the absolutely transcendent Hulu series Only Murders in the Building featuring oh, yeah. Steve Martin and Martin Short and some Selena Gomez lady. Uh but so I've been seeing Martin Short doing great work and then contrasting it with this. I don't put the blame on Martin Short. I put it no. on just poor casting. Martin Short is playing the straight man here, and Martin Short never should be the straight man. He needs to be the crazy person who everyone else is reacting to. And instead, <laughs> yes. the, and instead, this jungle boy is the crazy person, and Martin Short is reacting it's... to him. And Martin Short is being a good supporting player and trying to support the other performers, none of whom are as talented as he is. No. It's a weird chaotic energy to put him playing this kind of bumbling, do-nothing-right character up against Tim's kind of cynical, prickly type of character. Yeah. Um, I'd be more curious to see how they play off each other in Santa Claus 3, where... Oh, Martin he's Short Jack Frost. To be a little more histrionic with uh, his, you know, villain character. So I wonder um, if we'll ever do that movie. Wink, wink. <laughs> Check back with us in 2023. Oh God. So, so we see. Uh, so we, we, you know, we there's there's Martin Short among the scrum. We find Tim Allen among the scrum. One of the first yeah. things that he yells, one of his first lines, is he yells out, "Ah, sell three quarters, Benford." So he's no okay. Uh, now I thought the same thing. I'm, it's so interesting that you wrote this down. It wasn't Binford. Uh, I replayed it multiple times. It's uh, I think he was saying a bid for. I don't know, but given that it's directed by a home improvement guy yeah, and starring I, a home improvement guy, and given that in the Santa Claus he briefly tries on a tool belt and takes it off again, I implying mean, not, that Tim <laughs> Allen is incapable of appearing in a movie in this time period without referencing his popular TV series Home Improvement, about which we make a podcast, I think... I'm not saying it's out of the realm of possibility, Occam's particularly Razor. because there's actually a Binford toolbox in Toy Story, but... I, I I replayed it. I'm almost certain he says, "I want to make a bid for 300." I, and I'm almost certain that he said, "Binford." It just and would make this the is most sense. The point in the podcast where we diverge, and it only gets worse from here. Okay, the fight begins now. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, he's doing a bunch of trades. 
I, we don't need to go into detail about this. The no, long and short of it is... Except to say that he, he gets the, the coffee here. He buys a bunch of coffee. Coffee futures. Commodity futures. <sighs> hey, kids. Are you keeping up? The thing, the thing every kid loves. I uh, what co- what commodity did you have on your pajamas as a kid? Mine was soybeans. <laughs> My, mine was raw oil. Raw oil. You know, I didn't I didn't take you for team oil. That's interesting. That's it, very interesting. it might have just been the butter for my mom's mashed potatoes. <laughs> well, if your mom is putting crude oil in the mashed potatoes, I can understand why there's an issue. You need a lot of butter and salt to make up for that. Uh, so. Afterwards, he's up in his office. His boss is getting after him for making these risky trades. And he's, uh, you know, he's he's not really hearing it. He's assuring him, oh, everything's going to be fine. Martin Short is anxious about it, but whatever. Yeah. He needs to, he's, Tim Allen is focused. By the way, Tim Allen's character is named Michael Conrad. <laughs> Cromwell. Cromwell. He, we're calling him Tim. Landon in. <laughs> oh, Yes. Landon in his synopsis called him Michael one time and then Tim like two or three times. So we're just calling him Tim. Martin Short is called Martin. <laughs> I didn't even notice. Yeah, yeah. My notes yeah. 100% is just Tim and Martin. Yeah, no, that's okay, good. We are one person and it's the, that's the same person. So Tim. <laughs> we have converged yet again. Yes. Uh, we're, we're, um, uh, I, I guess I was going to make a reference to the end of Akira, but I guess Tetsuo doesn't merge with someone else he just becomes a no. massive uh, gigantic body horror creature but we're gonna become one of those eventually too uh, <laughs> yep. so tim needs to get a divorce from his ex-wife patricia and he needs to fly to venezuela where patricia lives to get this divorce and immediately i'm hearing patricia and i'm thinking like ooh, like patricia richardson it's a little in joke <laughs> for home improvement people <laughs> no actually I guess that's a that's a no well it seems like isn't that a carryover from little Indian oh yeah Big no City? it is 100 yeah. yep. so yeah it th- is I, I'm a, I'm attributing creativity and Easter eggs where there are none. So maybe he wasn't actually yelling. Ben <laughs> Welcome to grunt work. Yeah, <laughs> it's what we do. Uh, so yeah, he needs to get to Venezuela to get this divorce. It's basically the plot of Sweet Home Alabama at this point, and he <laughs> uh, walks out of his office, uh, which is in the World well, Trade yeah, Center. Some, just some. Oh God, yeah. Let's we'll get that in a second. Uh. Just a few details I, I, I don't want to yeah. skim over so that we don't have to explain further later on. Um, he's getting married to a yes. New York fashion designer, as I said in the synopsis, in 30 yes. days. Yes. Um, and so he has to go get this done quickly because he's got a lot of wedding preparations to do with her leading up to the marriage. Um, and what what may or may not be coming out in these scenes here is that Martin Short is kind of Tim's right-hand man. Mm-hmm. And... Tim even says, you know, you are a shitty salesman, but you're a good analyst. Yeah. Um, because Martin Short is just like, he's so nervous mm-hmm. about this, uh, these coffee futures. He does not think that they're a good investment. Um, he, you could tell he's sweating and needs medication. Yes. Uh, he has he, asthma. Like, that's the level of character we're working with. He every he is just cowering in every scene. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to the point where he's literally under the desk uh, in a few scenes here. Yes. But, um, and so, yeah, Tim says, well, you know, before I can get the get married, I got to go, as you said, uh, get my divorce paper signed uh, by my previous wife. Um, yes. But he does. He does say I have to go to the Amazon, right? 
I don't know. I think he does. I don't even remember. I, thought, I might have just written Amazon assuming that's what it was. I, I was Look, I have all kinds of stuff written here about how he has to fly to Africa to get a divorce. The movie wants <laughs> okay, you to think right. it's Africa, even though they later say Venezuela. This is the shittiest sleight of hand they've ever done. I mean, it's just um, this movie wants you to believe that there, that there are two kinds of environments. There is Rudy Giuliani's New York City and there is Jungle. <laughs> God and 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 um, and Giuliani's New York, as the movie later posits, is itself a jungle. So really, the whole world is jungle. The ocean, it's a type of jungle. The plains, <laughs> kind of a jungle. Antarctica, kind of a, jungle. a jungle of snow. Ice jungle. That's the sequel to Jungle to Jungle. Is just ice jungle. <laughs> or the movie The Thing could also be considered ice jungle. Um. Um. Yes. Okay. So we. You want to? Okay. We got to talk just for a second because it's unignorable. Um. The World Trade Center. As soon as I saw the shots, you know, in the wide shot, I'm like, I'm not going to mention it. <laughs> but then it turns out to be it's where his office is located. <laughs> works directly in the and only because i watched this movie like 20 years and two days after 9-11 and also directly on the heels of watching a six-part 9-11 documentary you watch that too yeah oh you the one on hulu the national geographic one Oh no! I watched the Spike Lee one on. on oh, we started the Spike Lee one, and then we were like, "Oh, this is this is starting with coronavirus." We were kind of hoping to start with the old trauma and then get to the new trauma, but you're starting with the new trauma and working back to the old trauma, and that won't fly. No, we're, we're working on the on the Spike Lee one. Um, That's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm I'm into it. Uh, so anyway, and not to not to capitalize. I mean, we are like right on the 20th anniversary of 9/11, but ne- I mean, never forget. Do, do we do? Do we question whether or not Mike Cromwell perished that day? I would like to think the the end of the movie seems to suggest that Mike Cromwell has taken a less active uh, role in his job. So maybe he's moved to fair, a smaller fair. trading firm that is not located in the World Trade yeah. Center. Um, <laughs> and I don't even feel comfortable talking about any of this because after watching those documentaries, it was pretty traumatizing. Uh, yeah, and yeah. not to me light of yeah yeah okay well uh yeah so okay i think we both agree that bringing up the fact that he works in the world trade center probably not great for our comedy podcast but hey you know what we move on <laughs> so instead okay look you know what world trade center 9-11 very depressing tim allen flies to venezuela a place where only great things have been happening that we can be super jazzed about great super duper uh i mean isn't this kind of like the epitome of disney disneyization of like Putting a happy face on things that aren't happy at all. Uh, yeah, I, I suppose. I suppose so. I mean, it's uh, the, he, he flies to Jungle Cruise Land, really. <laughs> um, it's funny you can see the rock if you look real hard in the background. Yeah, yeah. He meet he meets Him with and- a he meets with a guy who shoots a cap pistol at a at a hippo and makes the same joke <laughs> over and over again. Um, okay, so at this uh, at this Venezuelan, I guess, airport, uh, Tim arrives and um, the driver is waiting for him, grabs him, hugs him. Um, Tim is uncomfortable with that. Yeah, no surprise. Yeah, um, he's supposed to meet Patricia at this airport. She hasn't shown up. Why does he have a driver, and why is he looking for a driver if he's expecting to be meeting his wife at the airport? It's a very good point. Uh, I don't know. Um, anyway, he's upset and he starts going off like, well, she's not going to get a dime out of this divorce then. Yeah. And really uh, setting up his like greed is good character. 
Yes. And, and by the way, at this point, he has made already, we're like, I don't know, a few minutes into the movie, he's already made about 15 sidelong, cruel, crude, snide comments about every single thing that he's experienced. Uh, yeah. So he then gets on a smaller plane and flies to a smaller airport. At some point, Martin Short calls him from work. We see him hiding yeah. under his table because the the boss is screaming and yelling because... Boss I, is really pissed about these coffee futures. Yes, because you see the coffee futures, which were expected to be at one certain value, have instead dropped in value. And, and Martin Short <laughs> wants to sell them in order to capitalize on their current value before they fall further. But Tim is saying no. Minimize the loss. Yes, but no, hold on to these coffee futures. And the children in the audience of this PG-rated movie are going like, yeah, of course, obviously, you don't want to, you got to buy low and sell high. That's how you maximize <laughs> your revenue over time. Duh. And if Martin you fuck Short. up and you buy high, then you sell immediately so that you are selling somewhat still high. Yeah, exactly, exactly. All, all of the, uh, and all of these kids are on the phone to their stockbrokers telling them, like, did you watch Jungle to Jungle? I want to make sure that you're not fucking up like the, like Martin Short in that movie. I need you to be stronger on these issues. But Tim, Tim, Tim tells Martin here, don't sell until I tell you to. It's going to be okay. I just wait until I give you the go ahead. Mm -hmm. And then he basically hangs up on Martin Short and Martin Short bangs his head on the desk. Yep. Yep. But he doesn't get glued to it because this is not home improvement. Um, so is it, that is it not? Ah, well, okay. Actually, well, no. It's like this is in the same way that that uh, Fifty Shades of Grey isn't Twilight, but is okay. like oh, yeah, fan fiction you. based off of it. It's like it's like what if what if Bella and Edward were in a BDSM relationship, and he was a CEO and she was a journalist. It's like what if Tim the Toolman Taylor was actually a high powered stock trading executive. <laughs> that that's basically what this movie is. Yeah. Well, ba back to where Tim is. He yes. is on the boat uh, heading toward the village. Never um, get off I got the, the boat. Playing, <laughs> playing Absolutely. In the goddamn here. never. Oh, wow. You're watching it again. Ugh. No, I'm just trying to keep tabs on, on where we are in the movie. Good plan. Uh, a boat is taking him to the village from the airport. And mm -hmm. uh, Tim Heart is of darkness. dabbing himself. Very much like, uh, like a podcast host who has gotten really into handkerchiefs. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he, what he's doing is he's taking a piece of cloth, dipping it in the river water, and then dabbing it on his face and the corners of his mouth so you can get all the jungle parasites right up there in your mouth. Just drink that pure river water. Get Montezuma's revenge, Tim. <laughs> well, he he does. He certainly doesn't know this, and the the guy driving the boat is like, you're not, you don't want to do that. Um, he doesn't even get to say because of the parasites because uh, there's a much bigger parasite that latches onto the cloth. Uh, he brings it up and there's like five piranha on it. Yep. And he, uh, he screams and is yanking the piranhas off. And uh, he just, he's getting more visibly and physically upset about being... Uh in yeah. this place. He, it, this, is just, this is just a general note that I took. It's just that this version of Tim Allen is especially off-putting. He is yeah. aggressive and angry and on edge in a way that, that subsequent seasons of Home Improvement have recognized as bad and have tried to tune down. In this, it's season three Tim for about half the movie at least. Just he's angry at everything. He's putting everyone yeah. around him down and we are supposed to think this is the best shit in the world. Yeah, it, it, I mean, the line here of him being upset, uh, I think, says it all. As he's, like, throwing his handkerchief away with the piranha on it and stomping on the piranha, he stands up as he sees the shore of the village, and he goes, Oh, great, she left me for Gilligan's Island. Which is just, like, there's so much packed into that that 
I could just hear the other side of his conversation going, it was just a joke. What are you getting so upset about? And it's just like, but let's unpack it for a second and find out what's upsetting me about your joke here. Yeah. Like, and that's just, I think that goes for every thing that they claim to be a joke in this yeah. movie. Yes. I, also, uh, another big point. Uh, this is a village on the side of a river, clearly not an island, so you burnt. I'm sorry. It's not an island. Uh, Me or him? Oh, Gilligan's Island. Got it right. Yeah, yeah. Tim is burnt. You're no, you're not burnt, Landon. Unless unless you've unless you think you need to be burnt, I can burn you. But no, I, no, okay. sir. I I've, I've learned my lesson to wear suntan lotion. Yes, exactly. Yeah, only when you record. Uh, sunscreen. So, well, yeah, you get too burnt if you wear the suntan lotion. Exactly. So, uh, so Tim comes ashore. He finds the nearest villager and starts asking about, you know, where's Patricia? You know, she's my wife, and he explains that. They got married 13 years ago. She ran out him, or she ran out on him after one year and never contacted him again. And I guess he was just totally chill being married to a woman who abandoned him for the intervening decade and change until he needed to get married. <laughs> and then, and even then, postponed it until 30 days before his wedding to go get the divorce. Right. At no point, right. at no point was his new girlfriend like, "Hey, it's kind of fucked up that you're still married to a woman you haven't seen in 13 years. Maybe like." <laughs> Get this annulled by the state, or so, is she dead? Like I don't know. Do something about it. No, no. Just yeah. Left that I mean, the has he had any contact with her? I mean, like, how would he even know? Like, thirteen years is a long time. I mean, even if she did leave him at the time and said, "Hey, I'm going to this village in the middle of Venezuela," thirteen years later, would you expect to still find her there? It's a yeah, exactly. It's just a. It's a weirdly. It's one of the many things about this movie that just on a conceptual level makes no sense that is part of why Disney should not have done a remake of the movie. It's like, right. it doesn't, it does not follow any sort of logic that a man would have his wife leave him and have no contact with her, but remain married to her for 13 years. Like that's just <laughs> weird. It's way too long. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, the villagers take him to a hut. They kind of understand who he's looking for inside. Uh, Pat is there, and, um, you know, he's upset that she wasn't at the airport. He just starts going off about how upset he is about everything that upsets him. And she's like, okay, calm down. There's a pig that's about to give birth here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, I my, my only other note in this scene is just this is such an angry Tim. Every line is yelled. It's like Tim, if he was even more materialistic, every line dripping mm-hmm. with sarcasm and blatant hostility. Um, <laughs> in the midst of this, uh, you know, the piglet's born. Yes. You know, there's a there's kind of a robust uh, a tribeswoman in there. He makes some sort of joke about it being a pig. It's yeah, 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 not, um, not fun. But in the midst of that, the the boatman leaves, uh, and Tim is stranded now on this uh, this in this tribe on the shore. He's just very upset about it all. Um, mm-hmm. As he's running after the boat, he sees that kids are going through his luggage, and and oh no, his, uh, electrical razor is kind of vibrating on the sand, and oh yeah. Um, She's like, well, you know, his wife is like, well, hey, you can stay here. You can stay with the bachelors tonight. Um, and yep. uh, he's like, I don't want to stay with the bachelors. And she's like, okay, great. Then you can stay with, uh, you know, the piglets or I don't know. The, 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 the woman, the woman who he, who he God. was making fun of earlier, the robust woman who you can make fun of. And she, 
she, well, not who you can make fun of, you can stay with her, and she smiles at him seductively, and he goes, okay, I'm staying with the bachelors. Great joke. Uh, Uh, Minutes later, he's already back on the computer, which he's hooked up to a satellite, and... uh, And is getting remarkably good. He gets better internet access (laughs) in the middle of Venezuela in 1997 with a satellite uplink on DOS than I can get on, like, a Metrolink train going from L.A. to, to like, uh, West Covina. It's really insane. Well, you gotta, you gotta put one of those uh, uh, link tethers on the front of the train so that you can connect better. I guess that's my problem. Uh, yeah. But so he's trying, and he's now trying to, like, he's trying to basically send the message to Martin Short to sell the coffee futures now. I think well, he, he's watching, he's watching the price go up. Like he's, in, he's totally engrossed in watching the stocks, stock numbers now. And he's kind of muttering to himself. The tribesmen are, have, you know, gathered around him to watch, like, what the fuck is this guy doing? Mm-hmm. Uh, Pat tries to bring over some food for him. And he's like, yeah, no, thanks. Um, particularly with the first thing and then the second one, like he just ignores her. Uh, but he he's muttering to himself like, "Okay, coffee, yeah, okay, I see it's going up to ninety six. Okay, it's gonna hit ninety seven. Do I want to sell at ninety seven? I don't think I want to. I think I'm gonna be greedy today. I think it's gonna be okay to be greedy. I'm gonna wait till ninety seven and a half. Okay, and then oh and, great, ninety seven and a half. Go ahead and sell. And and as he's saying all this, she's trying to explain to him, "There's something I need to tell you. When I left you, I was pregnant. You have a son, and he is too busy talking over her to hear a single bit of this." Uh, yes, but once he, he starts the, the confirmation process, um, and then he it registers with him, I have a son, and then he stands up and goes after her, never actually hitting the confirm button on the computer, um, which is easy to, to miss. It's yeah. not really highlighted too much, and nope. it becomes such a pivotal part of this movie. Yeah, I didn't but, even um, realize that it happened until he and Martin Short <laughs> yell at each other about it half an hour later. Um, yeah, so... Uh, so yeah, so she he gets up and starts. Yeah, they start yeah. they start arguing, and he, he's like, "Well, why did you leave?" You know, she's like, "Well, I think I, I left when uh, I realized that you were installing a fifth phone line." Yeah, um, and starts telling him, you know, about you know he has a son, and Tim is just he's angry about this. This is unforgivable. Yes, and. I don't know. He's he's very upset. This is unforgivable, and on the one hand. I agree it's kind of fucked up that she didn't tell him he had a son. It's also f- everything about him is also fucked up. Yeah. I mean, I can't it's even a fucked up situation. I, I, can't, I can't even try to render judgment on this situation though because no aspect of it makes sense. The idea that she would ever be romantically involved with a man like this <laughs> doesn't I, make sense. The fact that I, she I, would I, be pregnant and be like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to leave this guy, not explain anything to him, move to the jungle to have my baby and live there for the next 13 years doesn't make sense. Whatever these two ever saw in one another initially doesn't make sense. It, just, these are, this is a fake situation. How many angels can dance yeah. on the head of a pin? It doesn't matter. I'm, uh, I had mentioned that I had pulled an excerpt of Ebert's review for this movie, yes. which um, I want to read, but uh, it plays very much into what you just said. I'm going to bring it up um, uh, in a few scenes here when uh, they're on the airplane, but uh, just to proceed with what's going on here, Tim is arguing with her. The computer continues uh, to just do its thing, and um, he. I guess we need to bring up the like the the weird not I, porn thing that comes up, but just I, like I, I don't. What what was it? Just like 
oh, oh, attractive what? girl. It's like he, you know the the Mac ding when you turn on your computer. Dong. Only it's hello you. It's it's a, Just, a like he gets some notification from his computer, and it's a <laughs> brief video clip of a sexy woman going hello you, and it does it again later like hello you, and all of the. <laughs> villagers are crowded around it ooing and eyeing over it and tim runs over there and at first i'm thinking like oh tim is embarrassed because his porn is up on the computer but <laughs> right nope. no not it, in the it, least bit the movie just seems to treat this as normal like oh yeah that's just his notification that the computer has something happening and it's hello you <laughs> which i i just don't understand it at all i don't either i don't either um Anyway, uh, he, he's so incensed with this idea about his son, um, who has now come back to the village. Uh, he, he's walked past them. Um, and she says, uh, his name is Mimi Siku. And Tim's like, Mimi Siku? Uh, she explains that um, in this tribe, you choose your own name. And that Mimi Siku roughly translates to cat, cat piss. piss. Yes. He chose the name himself when he was well, six years old. So maybe, I don't know, have a process for choosing another name when you are going through the rights of manhood? <laughs> I mean, it would make sense to give, to give him a mulligan on this. It's like when you, it's like it's like in Fallout 4 when you're finally leaving the vault and you get that chance to be like, hey, I know that you built your character like half an hour ago, but do you want to make any changes before the game starts? They should give you that in this tribe with your name. Um, <laughs> right. So, so then meanwhile, the villagers are still playing with the computer, yelling hello you at it, and Tim goes yeah. running back and sees that they've drained the entire battery. The whole and, battery has died. And every time Tim tries to talk to one of them, uh, they just go, hello you, to him, which, <laughs> which is not exactly, I, I don't know, there, <laughs> it's not, it shouldn't be funny. It shouldn't and be it, funny, it's not... <laughs> Good. I mean, the villagers are not represented well in no. this movie at no, all. Not at all. They're represented as primitive and stupid. Uh, but yeah. on the other hand, I do like that they are making Tim Allen unhappy. So I guess in that yes. regard, good. Um, so specifically with such an absurd <laughs> thing, uh, it kind of makes me giggle. Yeah. Well. Bit, but yeah. I mean, again, how seriously can we take anything when like? <laughs> The, right. the movie expects us to accept as normal that he has set up a, a you know notification sound that is just a video of a lady saying hello you. Also, I'm sorry, I'm going to go into this. If you are a broken enough soul that you want your computer's notification sound to be a sexy woman purring at you, why is she saying hello you and not like hello handsome or hey sexy? Like what what is hello you? What the fuck is that? That's not that, that's that's Disney for <laughs> um, an orgasmic moan whenever a computer turns I get, on. I guess I guess you're right. I That's guess the that, Disney filter working I, I, in real time. I love that Disney was like, okay, we can have a sexy woman on his computer for absolutely no reason that has nothing to do with the rest of the movie and never comes back. But she has to say hello you and not it hello was, handsome. It, you know, there was precedent set. It was in the original. <laughs> Wait, really? In the in the French yes. one, it's it's bonjour vous. <laughs> <laughs> Something to that regard, yes. Um, well, it was in, what we got to do it. <laughs> I'll tell you what wasn't in the original. Um, nighttime, Tim oh, is God. sleeping with the bachelors in yep. hammocks, yep. and it's just a c cacophony of just farts. 
just so many, so many farts. Why, why, why try to dress it up? It's just, it, it was, it was so weird. I like, I thought, are coconuts falling from the trees? Is there some sort of weird wind thing? Is it the frogs? Oh, it, in the, it, it, the, it was a weird, it was a weird wind thing. Yeah, I will give you that. It, <laughs> but I'm like, it can't possibly be. It kind of sounds like a fart, but it can't possibly be just people farting as we pan across to Tim's face. It can't be what they're doing here. I, I, no, I had the same reaction. It's just like, they're not, they're not actually doing it. They're not just doing a blazing saddles, but worse. But they, I feel like it was, I feel like it's, it's more like a saddle and embers. Uh, it travels with. Tim Allen, I feel like like home improvement has become more about farting and shitting, it's and then he came and made this movie. Part of the Tim Allen brand. T- Tim Allen has to either be farting or reacting to farts in the movie, or else you don't get Tim Allen. That is a rule. That's why you don't see him eat any any food on this uh, on this uh, in this village because none of it is kielbasa. That's true, but it's seemingly all these guys were eating kielbasas. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so he makes some comments about that. He, okay, this is this is confusing to me. He has been okay. he he cannot sleep because of the cacophonous farting of the entire village. <laughs> he sees Mimi Siku, yeah, and he gets up and he goes to talk to him. First, he calls him Mitsubishi, haha. <laughs> but okay. but so he goes to talk to him and he's saying like, "Hey, uh, so it turns out I'm your dad." And he's having this first conversation with him. So what this suggests is that during the late afternoon, Tim's wife tells him, hey, you have a son. He's standing right over there. Tim goes, oh, I have a son, my own progeny, the fruit of my loins, standing right over there. I'm going to go have dinner. I'm going to get washed up. I'm going to go to bed. I'm going to try to sleep for a while. And then, oh, there's my son over there. I guess I'll try and talk to him now. Like, he just doesn't do... What his son is looking at him down the beach in the earlier scene, and it's like, no, I'm not going to interact with him. It's very (laughs) odd. There's... Oh, Truman, don't think about it too much. (laughs) Um, That should be the subtitle for this movie. (laughs) For our podcast, really. But Yeah. uh, Because... Okay, so Mimi Siku does not respond uh, in this moment. He just kind of nods at him and, and walks away, and Tim goes on thinking oh he doesn't speak english he didn't understand a word i said um and and, and we go to uh, Mimi we see him yeah he goes off he he goes off to where a girl is sitting on a hammock he is holding a cast iron pot in his hand he gives the girl the pot that's all which is important i wish it weren't because i don't understand it but it it is important <laughs> to the it, rest of the movie it is important we're gonna look folks remember this uh, i hope you're taking notes write this down because we're gonna come back to it at the end of the movie so he gives the girl <laughs> so the we'll pot. be on the exam yes but equally flummoxing to me is the next day um presumably around like nine or ten in the morning no one has woken tim up no nope. uh, he's lying in the hammock in his suspenders Dress socks pulled up over his calves and dress shoes still. Hey, listen, I've <laughs> worn dress socks to, uh, you know, a three-hour wedding where I wanted to saw my leg off at the knee. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah. cannot imagine sleeping in dress socks. This this movie, much like uh, the other movie we watched, uh, I, well, I called it Getting Even with Dad, but it's Man of the House. Yes. It both has uh, dudes who know that they're going to the jungle and nonetheless wear business suits and formal wear into the jungle. (laughs) 
it's just like when you're when you're a businessman or slash a Seattle mobster, you have one kind of clothing you can wear, and that's suits. You don't have just like a pair of cargo pants. <laughs> um. So the next morning, Pat wakes him up, and he falls out of the hammock. If you're keeping track, that's two falling out of the hammock jokes in less than a minute. Yep. Um, <laughs> he, and not the last. Uh, he is so incensed by the time of day, the brightness of the sun. He just goes, what do you call this place? The surface of the sun? Yep, yep. He's Yelled so at mad. Full. He yeah. is so mad. Angry so at mad. everything. Just a cauldron of rage. Um, <laughs> Meanwhile, Mimi Siku's getting ready to go out on the boat for the day, and she says, hey, why don't you go out with him? Yep. And Tim's like, out on the boat with him? Oh, <sighs> okay. So, yep. You know, as one does to get ready to go out on the boat, he buttons up his dress shirt. <laughs> so, so yes, he gets he, he gets all dolled up in his best boating clothes, and they're out there. <laughs> they're canoeing down the river, and yeah. Mimi Siku keeps pointing to things, and like he points to a a you know monkey, and he says baboon, and Tim goes, no, that's a monkey. He points to a, a parrot flying by, and he goes, Hoko. And Tim goes, no, that's a parrot. And it's like, Tim, he's telling you what they are in his language. He doesn't speak English, as far as you know. Soon. See, he's self-absorbed. That's the problem that's going to be resolved by the end of the picture. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, it's going to get resolved. I just, I just... <laughs> Like, I, uh, just, just, like, it's not just a self-absorption thing. Like, this doesn't come off as self-absorbed. This just comes off as fucking dumb. It's like, it, it, I don't know. I remember, I remember. There's a, there's a thin line between the two when it comes to the Tim Toolman character. I remember when the Gangnam Style video came out, Bill O'Reilly did a segment on his show about it, talking about how, this is nonsense, it's nothing, it means nothing. And it's like, well, no, Bill O'Reilly, it does mean something in Korean, we just don't speak <laughs> Korean, so we don't understand. It's like this assumption that, oh like, well, if it's not in English, it's gibberish. I, I just... <laughs> <laughs> well, it does turn out that Mimi Siku does speak English. Yep. Uh, and as Tim is trying to explain all these things to him, including putting his finger in the water and a piranha biting it, it's as funny as it sounds. It's in the trailer. Um, yep. It turns out that Mimi Siku speaks English and that uh, Tim is just uh, a buffoon. Yeah, um, which and Tim says, "So you under- isn't his nickname <laughs> throughout the movie? It's Baboon, but it's close. Bu- it's, it yeah. is. It is it's close. close. It's close enough." <laughs> but so Tim goes, you, "Oh, if you squint your ears, you can hear it. <laughs> if you if you close your ears up real tight, you don't have to hear it, and that's the the real way to do it." Okay, all right, uh, right. but so Tim says, "Oh, so you understood everything I said last night?" And Mimi Siku just laughs. So we can see he's kind of a rascal. He's a, he's kind of a rude dude. <laughs> I, no, okay, I want to don't delay this episode longer than it has to be but i I made an observation while watching this um comparing it to man of the house Mm -hmm. which is the you know because we watched man of the house and then we watched um tom and huck and there's something interesting i don't know what it says about what but the tim allen or the tim the tool man character can't exist without a randy type of character but the randy character can exist without the Tim Allen character or the Tim the Toolman Taylor character. So what you're saying is home improvement could totally exist as just Randy improvement, basically. The Randy <laughs> show. 
I don't know what I'm saying. I just thought it was an interesting observation because yeah, all know, of his movies are essentially that. Yeah, well, you know, t- the Tim Allen character can only exist if there is another younger masculine figure who he is in conflict with, basically, because well, maybe, he's entire. Maybe that's the whole like the conflict of uh, the male initiation. Maybe mm. that's what it's trying to be based on. I don't know. Yeah, I don't care enough to think about it longer than that. Um. Uh, they're going through the jungle, and he starts complaining about his $500 shoes. He's almost bit by a snake. And this is where we see Mimi Siku's uh, proficiency with a uh, dart gun, a little mm-hmm. blow blow gun with darts. Yep. He and hits the snake right in the head and kills it. <laughs> yep. Uh, <laughs> the first of many animal deaths in this movie. So many dead animals. Uh <laughs> Later, they cook and eat the snake, uh, and they're on the beach, yeah, yeah. trying to talk to each other a little more, and uh, he just slaps a a pile of lizard guts in Tim's hand. (laughs) Uh, And Tim says, no, he's full from the snake, and he throws away the lizard guts later. Uh, Mimi Siku has kind of assumed that Tim is going to be staying with him in the jungle, but Tim says, no, 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 I've got to go back to my village, I'm a traitor, and, you know, Mimi Siku has a Statue of Liberty pendant and he it, like yeah. understands that, oh, this is a this thing is in the village that Tim is from. And he says, oh, when I'm a man, will you take me to the Statue of Liberty? Mimi Siku does speak English. He speaks very broken English, yeah, like and pigeon English. Remind me, I, I can't remember if this was in the one of the Ebert reviews. It might have been in the one for Little Indian Big City where he calls into question the fact that he speaks in broken English. Yeah, where yeah, exactly. Like, he has a mom who speaks fluently in English. There is no reason for him to be speaking in broken English. Yep, yep, yep. That's that, that's in the that is in the little Indian big city review, and it it okay. totally applies here. Um, yep. Okay, one of the many things that they decided. No, nope, you know what? We're going to adapt it. We're going to be loyal to the uh, <laughs> original material. No notes. The only note is no French. Other than that, no notes. Uh, <laughs> so. Uh, but so yeah, he's he shows him this Statue of Liberty pendant, and he says, "When I'm a man, will you take me to the Statue of Liberty?" And Tim says, "Yes, yeah, I promise, I'll do it." And then Mimi Siku lies down to sleep, middle take of the day, just just fine, just de- dead on sunlight. Take a nap. Well, he was up in the middle of the night bringing well, I, pots to girls. I guess so. Yeah, he, he wore himself out doing that. <laughs> uh. Yeah, so then Tim is uh, Tim goes off to get rid of the uh, lizard guts, and he looks back, and oh boy, there's a gigantic hairy spider crawling near Mimi Siku, and Tim freaks out and starts screaming, and then the the spider is chasing him around, and it's um, so, uh, my my note here. So much of this movie is situations where Tim is just doing Tim Allen one-liners, weak referential stuff, plus exaggerated slapstick bits that aren't very good. Uh, and that's a wrap on Jungle to Jungle. Thanks, everyone. Yeah, thank you. Okay. Da, 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 da. Um, he, <laughs> it's, it, it's so much of it is against uh, fake animal props. Yes. And and again, it's like, God damn it, guys. There's I, I Landon, as we all know, has a thing with bears. I have a thing with spiders. And this movie yeah. is so many close-ups of big, hairy spiders. I just... It's a lot of them. It's, it's, the thought did enter my head during this. And I thought, well... You know, a lot of the shots are just kind of really ridiculous looking prop spiders. Uh, did that, would that have made it easier on Truman? No. Nope. I, I didn't have that answer. Nope, nope. Because it makes me think about what if that was a real spider and I don't okay, like it. Right. I just don't like okay. spiders at all. 
I I cannot even watch the Mystery Science Theater movie Giant Spider Invasion, which has comically fake spiders in it because it makes me think about real spiders. (laughs) Not even spiders, they're VW bugs. It's a VW bug with an inflatable spider on top, and yes, even that gets me. Uh, Because what if it was real? It's the it's the it's not what I'm seeing on screen, but it's the concept that it places in my head. That is the true horror of Giant Spider Invasion. Um, Okay, I'm not out to crucify you for that. so, yeah, okay, so the tarantula, I'll take the reins on this. Uh, Thank you. I don't want to talk about the spider. So the spider crawls all over Mimi Siku. Tim starts screaming. The spider goes after him. Uh, we get a comical little dance on the beach as the, the spider kind of corners him between the, uh, the shore and the water, uh, moving with every move he d- makes. Mimi Siku wakes up, sees this, and kind of laughs at it. Um, turns out the spider is his pet. Um, but Tim doesn't realize this before uh, it, it sends him running down a log and into the water um, where Mimi Siku says, hey, I, I wouldn't be so worried about the spider. Uh, he only attacks when you start screaming. Um, I would be more worried about some sort of gibberish name for the thing that's in the water with you. And Tim turns around and there's a big old crocodile headed his way. Oh no. Uh, Funny comedy people. Um, so we cut from that night celebration. Yes. Tim is in a loincloth. And he sits down, he sits down in front of the camera and it's just like the way the camera is framed. It's just Tim's crotch full in frame. And he's got like a tortoise shell (laughs) dangling in front of the crotch, like off of a, a ceremonial belt. And he sits Pat down. Says, yeah. Well, Pat says your your name uh, is your Pinari name. That's the name of the tribe. Uh, is Baboon, mm-hmm. which you know. And Tim says, "Well, can I choose my own and say a uh, man who is extremely well endowed?" <sighs> uh, she says, "Oh yeah, there's someone already with that name." You know, insert shot of comedy gold. Um, so and, uh, yeah. And- <laughs> Again, we can't get anything better than "Hello, you," but we can get Tim talking about how he wants everyone to know how huge his dong is. Great, thank you. Disney movie. Yeah. <laughs> We're in a Disney movie, guys. Only male sexuality is accepted, not female sexuality. Also, I thought that in this tribe, you picked your own name. So why can't he pick his own name? I, I guess you know maybe there's like some kind of uh, grace period or something. You have to be with the tribe for more than forty-eight hours. Uh, anyway, this whole ceremony is about Mimi Siku becoming uh, a man. He goes through this ritual where it, he has to grab a flaming ember in his hand. Uh, and uh, It's basically a bar mitzvah. He walks over to Tim after this and says, okay, I'm a man now. Uh, let's go to New York, holding him to his golden promise in the previous scene, saying he'd take him to New York once he was a man. And uh, Tim, my note here, I, I my note is just... Too much, Tim. <laughs> yeah, Tim. Well, yeah, like the the, the he does the, he does like the the patented tool man hiss oh, at the what he calls a witch doctor. Good God, I it's, don't even want to repeat these words. Yeah, it's bad. It's really bad. Um, <laughs> he doesn't I mean, want to take him home with him. Yeah, um, and the reason that that Mimi Siku wants to go to New York is because the chief has given him a special task in order to become a man, which is that he needs to bring back the fire from the Statue of Liberty, and it's like. So it's like, okay, well, I'm a, I'm a man now. You promised you'd take me to New York when I'm a man. Well, I'm a man. Take me to New York so I can get the fire from the Statue of Liberty. I mean, the logic holds. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's right. There. I mean, there's nothing in the rule book that says that a 13-year-old can't be a man who goes to New York to get the fire from the Statue of Liberty. So I guess we have to let him play. Um, yeah. 
Tim, but Tim starts to like he sees this and he sees it means a lot to him. Uh, and you know, he kind of drops his like angry man bit for a second and starts to make excuses. And he's like, uh, you know, I can't tomorrow, I can't, uh, maybe, you know, he starts stumbling over his words trying to find some way out of it. And Pat just like, he, I mean, Mimi Siku gets sad, he's like, oh, you, you don't hold up your promises and walks off. And Pat lays into Tim saying, uh, tomorrow can't maybe these means these words don't mean anything to Mimi Siku. He doesn't understand them. I'm and like, that, um, these are basic language <laughs> concepts. Yeah, that seems like a crisis of parenting, Pat. Like, how do you like you? You're telling me you've raised <laughs> this kid who doesn't have a concept of not being allowed to do things or not being. He he doesn't understand that sometimes he can't get the thing he wants. He doesn't have the concept of. Of things not being possible or the future, <laughs> they're they're just arguing, and this is this is one point that everything really came to hyper focus for me, which is just like it, it's hard to watch just a bunch of white people problems literally in the middle of an indigenous village. <laughs> yes, exactly that. All this really boils down to is like a broken promise and a white boy who can't go on vacation when he wants to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And but what this does lead into is I think one of the only jokes in the movie that I think works and is executed properly because Mimi Siku walks off, Patricia is mad at Tim and she walks off. We see this shot of Tim just like watching Mimi Siku walk away, kind of hanging his head, and then we and we you know, so like the, the beat this is left on is I can't take you with me, Mimi Siku. Mimi Siku walks away. Next shot is a plane taking off out of a out of a you know South American city, and Tim is alone on the plane, asleep with an empty seat next to him. And you think, oh, he's flying home alone. He left Mimi Siku, and then the flight attendant comes up and goes, "Excuse me, sir, uh, the young man you're with is urinating on the exit door." And then Mimi Siku comes back and sits down. I I don't think the joke of Mimi Siku peeing in a strange place is necessarily funny, but I do think the fact that the movie wants us to believe that Tim left him, but then we are notified <laughs> that he didn't by Tim finding out that Mimi Siku pees in weird places is funny. Uh, uh, more broad. It's funnier than anything else we've seen. It's uncharacteristically good for how bad this movie is. Uh, yeah, fair point. Um, yeah. It, it, there's, it's, there's something there. That was also in the original so yeah, we go from that into the airport, and um, I, I kind of want to just group these two scenes together because it brings up a point that then goes into the Ebert review that I uh, excerpted here. Um, uh, once they get out of the airport, Martin Short is waiting for Tim um, and uh, rushes after him. They've gotten their luggage from the thing. They're going on the you know fast walk escalator yeah. sorts of deals. Yeah. Um, Martin Short's going apeshit, but the the point I want to bring out here is that Mimi Siku is still dressed in a loincloth. Yeah, still has a uh, a shiver of arrows and a bow over his shoulder. Yep, yep. Just Um, you can take that on a plane. You can walk around an airport with that. It's 1997. Anything's possible. So I wanted to bring out this little bit of Ebert because he's. I'm not going to say it any better than he does. Um, Okay, so and this goes to a little bit of what you were saying earlier. Uh, so this is Ebert, uh, now, okay, um, Tim and his son arrive at Kennedy Airport, and here's the brainless part. The boy, who is about 13, is still dressed for the jungle. He wears only a loincloth, some, and some feathers and such like, no shirt or shoes. 
If memory serves, he carries his deadly dart blowgun, which is the sort of thing you're not allowed to have on an aircraft, but never mind. Did either of this either of this child's parents stop to consider that perhaps the lad should have jeans and a sweatshirt for a 3,000-mile air journey? <laughs> Such garments are available in Brazil. I know. I've been there. I flew upstream in a plane with platoons and landed on the Amazon without seeing a single person in a loincloth, although I saw many Michael Jordan t-shirts. <laughs> but no, the parents didn't stop to think, and that's precisely because they don't think. Why do you, why don't they think? Because no one is allowed to think in this movie. Not one single event in the entire plot can possibly take place unless every character in the cast has brains made of bako bits. <laughs> that is very true. That that is I think that is the truest summation of this movie. Uh, except <laughs> like no one can be thinking except in this scene where Tim and Martin have this very long like a minute and a half, two minute conversation about the coffee futures and how they, <laughs> yeah. they, you know, their worth is 97 and a half cents and Tim told Martin to sell them, but he didn't press confirm. And Martin explains how throughout their history together as futures traders, he never goes through with the trade unless Tim has pressed confirm. And this is not a conversation they're having while Mimi Siku is off in the background of the shot doing something silly. This is just the two of them talking about this on screen. That's all that we're seeing. So the characters cannot think about anything unless they are thinking and talking in incredible, granular, unnecessary detail about coffee futures and the procedures they go through to trade those futures with other traders for money. I mean, it, there is so much business about just the value of the coffee futures was 97 and a half when you sold it, but now it's less than that, and that's a problem. And kids in the like, kids in the audience maybe, are supposed to follow. Maybe this. this is why Martin Short's performance is so heightened because they knew on some level that kids wouldn't get it, so you had to sell the stakes through you know the emotions of the character of like, oh, I don't get what's happening, but he seems really distressed about it. I I mean I get I mean maybe. I guess, but even then, even then, maybe that's, you know, maybe Martin Short's anxiety sells the stakes of the situation, but it doesn't make the situation in any way even remotely interesting. That it does not no, do. No, not, not even, not yeah. even a little bit. Um, we go back to the office yeah. um, where, you know, they need to sort this whole mess out. Uh, the boss is yelling at Tim while Mimi Siku waits in the lobby. <clears throat> Coffee is Coffee. selling at 88. <laughs> Coffee is dropping. The world is ending, apparently. Yes. And, um, you know, I'm sure there's a very logical reason for this. Mimi Siku decides to let his spider out. Well, Tim has is, Tim is told Mimi Siku before going into the office with his boss, oh, I need to go fight with the chief. And uh, and Mimi Siku's logic... Scene makes sense. Yes, Mimi Siku's logic is, oh, well, the spider will bite the chief and I'll help you fight him. Uh, right. So... Then we get an extended scene of the spider chasing the yelling boss around the office, and Tim and Martin Short are trying to distract the spider so the boss doesn't see it. Well, Tim is. Martin Short is not familiar with the, the spider at this point. Mm. And this is the second scene in, what, five minutes of a spider? Uh, the entire comedy premise of a scene hinging on a loose spider. I, there, there is a close-up in this scene on the spider's face, and... I, oh my god, you're right. I never 
I feel kind of nauseous thinking about it right now. Like this movie was designed in a lab, designed in a lab to show the audience unpleasant things that they don't want to see. Tim Allen in a loincloth, a spider's <laughs> face, a pigeon dying. It's just awful. Just it's just let's really just, bad. Let's get through this then. Um so Tim distracts the the spider by screaming himself. It lures the spider away. He takes it outside uh and um tells Mimi Sika to put it away and says, I wasn't going to kill the chief. You know, um, he was like, when I say fight, I didn't mean kill. I mean, we were just going to do some battle. Only, that's only reserved for postal employees. Yes. Um, yeah. Uh, Remember, th- these are 90s jokes, folks. These are these are emblematic of... Going postal. Yeah, th- these are emblematic of the sort of jokes that Tim Allen is making throughout the movie. Just sort of one-off asides <laughs> that are like kind of weak, B-grade stand-up comedy fare from the 90s. He then mass killing in an office. Postal. <laughs> Disney uh, movie. Uh, and t- uh, Tim then goes back into his office after having run out screaming. He comes back in and by way of an excuse for his boss goes, Woof, when you go to Venezuela, do not get the chili con fuego. <laughs> Poop jokes. That's how, you, that's how we know they were in Venezuela, by the way. So. And, of course, to confuse it all the more, when he says that, the background music just starts to play some Mexican horns. Uh, Mexican hat dance. <laughs> because all of these countries are the same. <laughs> Everyone from down there is Mexican. Uh, so, yes. So that's Tim going to go see his fiancée. She is at a dress fitting being followed around by a documentary filmmaker, a very artsy sting style well, documentary filmmaker. Yeah. I, I don't I don't want to slow this down, but we do miss one part that becomes important to the end of this movie, which is they're in the car outside before Tim goes up to see her, and Mimi Siku's uh in there with in the back seat, Tim's looking at himself in the mirror, and uh there's a fly in the car. Mm-hmm. And the fly lands on the mirror next to Tim and Mimi Siku blows a dart at it and and hits it. Um, third third animal death in the movie. Yep. Um, but the fact that he hits a, a fly with the dart becomes a pivotal point at the end of yes. this movie. This is so a big. Yeah. Just wanted to point that out. Okay, yes. so he goes upstairs. Photographer following him around. Take yeah. It. Uh, and so she's she's you know gushing about her new fashion show and talking about all that, explaining how she's got this camera crew following them around to kind of just make the best wedding video ever. Tim is. There are a lot of shots from the camera's POV of it getting up in Tim's face and Tim pushing the camera away. But there's one bit where she says, so what did you bring me from the jungle? And as Tim is getting ready to explain that he has a son, the camera gets close to him and he shoves the lens down. And then we cut away before we can uh, before we can hear that. And so we cut back to the car where Martin Short is sitting with Mimi Siku. He explains to him that he has a daughter who is currently upstairs with uh, Tim's fiance getting fitted for a bridesmaid's dress. Uh but then Mimi for a completely different wedding. Oh, for it's for a different wedding. It's not even for for. Well, I, I guess so. I mean, I didn't. It, I don't know. Well, I don't I, know. I, 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 I barely know. understand why his daughter is there. It doesn't matter. This movie is dumb. No one should ever think about it, including us, including you, the listener. <laughs> don't think about it. Stop thinking about Jungle to Jungle. So in Jungle to Jungle, uh, he's. <laughs> my, there's this bit though. Martin is in the car having this moment with Mimi Siku. 
Mimisiku has the basket he keeps his spider in, and and he then opens it to show Martin. Well, Martin Short asks what's in the basket. He opens it to show him the spider. This is the, one of the two moments in the movie where I feel like Martin Short is able to do Martin Short stuff. Yeah. We get this shot from outside the car of Martin Short just planting his face and hands against the window of the car and screaming. It just absolutely cross-eyed. It's yeah. cross-eyed. And I look I choose to see that as a metaphor for his role in the movie or like just a metaphor for for Martin Short in this movie. It is him it is his, the primal scream of an incredibly talented comic actor uh, trapped in the luxury car of a crappy movie with worse actors having to play the role of a supporting man. Like, that's just him wanting to get, get loose, wanting to get free. Back upstairs, um, Tim and his fiance. She his fiance's upset about the son. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, he, he she thinks it's the most reprehensible thing that could have ever happened. How dare you have um, a son? I say punches the photographer. I don't. He, know. No, he. One of the cameramen is following him, and Tim straight up punches the guy to get him to go away, which is remarkably, even for the Tim Allen presented in this movie up until this point, is incredibly aggressive and really <laughs> off-putting. <laughs> um, down in the lobby, uh, Mimi comes up uh, with Martin. Um, yep. They go up to the loft uh, where Martin greets Tim. Um, yep. And uh, Lily Sobieski, who's playing Martin Short's daughter, says, Daddy! Uh, yep. She's the 13-year-old girl that uh, is going to be a little budding romance for Mimi Siku later yep. on. Yep, Mimi Siku sees her and falls in love at first sight. This is presumably the first white woman he's ever seen, and that's how he knows it's uh, she's the one. I, I don't know. Is it weird that I brought that up? I just have to point out. I mean, it's odd, isn't it's it? It's a Disney movie. It's You have to have love at first sight. That's okay. one of their top five criteria for every movie they make. Uh, anyway, uh. So Tim then takes Mimi Siku into his fiance's office and uh, is introducing uh, him to her. She's talking is about your female. Yeah. He starts peeing in the plant in the corner. Yep. Mimi Says loves that he peeing wants on some lizard guts. Yep. 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 <laughs> Why isn't he wearing clothes? <laughs> Just a whole lot of stuff at once. Uh, there's mention that there's going to be a there's going to be some dinner with some important high up fashion community people that Mimi Siku is now invited to. After Mimi Siku tries to pee on the plant, Tim takes him to the bathroom to show him how the toilet works. Guys, hold on to your butts, because some fucking comedy is coming. Are you ready? Are you fucking ready? <laughs> Listen, let me tell you something about men. They're from Mars. You know where women are from? Venus. Because Tim is showing Mimi Siku how the toilet works, and he explains to him, you have to put the seat up before you pee, but then you put it down after you pee. Females of tribes start war over this. Many deaths. I would drop the mic if I wasn't worried about breaking it. Folks, do you get the comedy of this movie? <laughs> Let's pause for laughs. This line Moments was in later, Tim is this line was in every trailer, by the way. This the every I remember this from every trailer. They had to show Tim talking about toilet seat up, toilet seat down, many deaths, women are crazy about it. It was the height of comedy. Nothing was better than that. Um Tim's out in the lobby with Martin waiting for Mimi Siku to finish his uh, his piss. And all of a sudden, we see Mimi Siku knock on the window out on the ledge of the building. 
um, many stories up, and Tim is freaked out, uh, but Mimi Siku seems fine with it. He, he has seen the Statue of Liberty, which is why he's gone out on the ledge to try to grab it. And and uh, um, there's a there's a uh, very clearly coded as gay man who is doing something with a piece of fabric and some purses, and when he sees Mimi Siku out on the ledge, he goes, he's doing a Fey Ray! And then he swoons and faints. Not a fan of most of what happens there, but I do like that they're calling out a King Kong reference. Yeah, a shout-out for Fay Ray. That's cool. Um, yeah, so Tim has to go out on the ledge to get Mimisuku back to keep him from trying. Everyone's in a panic. Yep, everyone's freaking out. Everyone is in matching towels. <laughs> uh, you know, and Tim went out on a rock, and there he saw his son. Uh, so, yeah, he, uh, he pulls... Mimisiku back in, and uh, this is all Lays on camera. into him. I mean, he starts screaming at him in yeah. front of everyone. On camera. Ever, I mean, it reminded me of his uh, scene with Mark recently where... Yeah. Where, <laughs> it, it just like, it's it's like a level of scary anger. And and that, that scene with Mark, the whole moral of it is, don't do this. And in the movie, it's just like, yeah, he's just doing this. Also, the fact that there's this <laughs> camera crew always recording... I kind of figured no. this would come back in in some way. It doesn't, but there's the camera crew is also recording him screaming in his child's face. Um, <laughs> this would be a very different movie in 2021. <laughs> uh, yes, it, it would be very different in that it would not exist. Um, Fair. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, Mimi Siku apologizes. <laughs> this didn't survive Thanos' snap. <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully, so you know what? Thanos, not such a bad guy. I will lose 50% of humanity if it means we also that's, lose this. That's That was the whole part of Thanos' philosophy is like, it's non-discriminate. It's random. It's not taking out only the good or only the bad. You're, you know, getting a little bit of each. So, you know, with every Chris Evans that we lose... We are also losing a jungle to jungle. <laughs> if, he had just, if he had just sat down and put it to me like, listen... There is a there is a one in two chance that jungle to jungle stops existing. I'd be like, okay, you know what? Snap away, dude. Let me help you get some of those glowy rocks from the other movies. <laughs> uh, Cocktail party. Yep. At at uh, Tim's uh, Tim's apartment. Nimisiku now at last is wearing jeans and a sweater, and uh, Tim is teaching him how to set the table. Other guests. Yeah. Now, okay, this is a Disney movie. Uh, we can't get anything racier than Hello You. Can we show a bunch of people smoking cigarettes on screen? Hell yeah, we can. I mean, did you watch this on Disney Plus? I did, yes. Yeah, did you see the, the, the warning that said this film contains smoking? Oh, you know what? I guess I did see that. Okay, so I was warned at least. I knew what I was getting were, into. Yeah. Is that is that why I'm so craving a, a nice, refreshing Virginia Slim right now? <laughs> Maybe. Might be why I'm... Uh, craving to go out for some animal bloodlust. Um, <laughs> they didn't. They didn't warn me about that. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so Mimi Siku is confused about the presence of the cat in the house. He thinks that the cat's job is to feed people, by which he means I, everyone eat the cat. I'm a little confused as to why they are feeding the cat on the counter with the cat on the counter, the counter that they eat on. Not not I mean, even remotely hygienic. <laughs> I, I get that, you know, cat owners, pet owners in general, you know, there, at a certain point, lines get grayed, but like, hey, come on. You have guests. You have guests I mean, over. It's, it's one thing to be feeding your cat on a Tuesday afternoon when you're trying to make lunch to go to work. It's another thing when you are feeding your cat off the counter moments before you're supposed to be eating a swanky dinner and serving guests. Yeah, yeah that's... 
And then, uh, especially considering the reaction that happens, because, like, a moment later, so the, the fancy bougie guests arrive, and it's, you know, some some lady who doesn't eat meat or gluten or nightshades or anything. She's a very picky eater, and, and, her, and her two gay assistants, and uh, I guess, way to go, Disney, gay representation in a movie from the 90s, but... Uh, so the very stereotypical the, so. yes especially because of what's coming guests walk back into the kitchen to see Mimi Siku now crouching on the counter eating the cat food out of the jar and listen they made this a little unduly gross if I'm being perfe- perfectly honest yeah. it's one I mean the point is driven that he's up there on his haunches scooping it out into his mouth they didn't need to smear it all over his face it's that gross. was just gross that's nasty and he's not a gross character like no. there's nothing he's as n- much as they're making him out to not understand this world like even in his village he wouldn't have like smeared lizard guts all over his face while he's eating it so why is he doing it i don't know it just this, this is throws the me out. this is the only meal that he gets all over his face but so yeah he's eating the cat food with his hands oh. getting all over his face one of the two gay guys swoons and faints so that's two fading fainting gay caricatures <laughs> in the space of like five minutes they are really they they love repeating jokes in this movie. And then the lady who won't eat anything just freaks out, loses her shit. She's like covering her mouth like she's going to throw up and she has to run away to go puke. And here's my thing, folks. This this is an old woman who lives in New York. How is that the grossest thing you've seen living in New York City? This woman is old enough to have been through the Ed Koch era, Son of Sam, the blackouts, the crack wars, prostitutes and porn theaters in Times Square. How many people did she see masturbating on the way to the dinner party? Exactly. Exactly. New York, I, I was in New York City in 2015, and, it, and a city that had been vastly cleaned up from how it used to be, and it was fucking squalid and disgusting. And this woman is like, oh, a boy eating cat food? A, a boy wearing clothes who has been properly cared for eating some cat food is is nausea inducing i'm sorry i'm sorry if you can't take the heat get out of the kitchen lady move back to wichita uh so wow wow this movie i didn't realize quite how dark this place put you into i, I don't know i mean it, god just i i don't know i don't know so we after this, I guess dinner is off as a result, but after dinner, Mimi Siku's asleep on a hammock on the balcony, and Tim and his fiancée yeah. are arguing about this. She yeah. she doesn't like this at all, the fact that there is this child. Uh, well, yeah, so he, she's like, I'm, I'm going to go do some shit, and walks away. Mm-hmm. Um, Tim walks out onto the balcony, and we get the first of the moments of, of Tim starting to soften. He sees uh, uh, Mimi Siku asleep, and he tussles his hair, and he kind of gets like an unimpeded, like, eh, I got a son. Like, he's playing the subtext here. It's one of the only moments of the movie where we get that, mm-hmm. um, where there's not dialogue, but you see this, the beginning of the transformation. Mm-hmm. And um, while his son's asleep, he sees his blowgun and picks it up with some darts and decides, yeah, why not? What? What the fuck not? I'll yeah, try it. I'll, I'll just play, a, I'll just play around shot. with this dangerous thing I don't understand. What could go wrong? <laughs> this shot of Rooney? Um... I realize this was also pre-TSA, but, like, uh, sleepy poison <laughs> yeah. being allowed to go through. Okay, whatever. Yeah. Drugs. He um, brought he brought jungle drugs into America. Yeah. <laughs> jungle drugs. Uh, Tim tries it. it. It hits him right in the thigh, and then he falls asleep yeah. and falls forward. Of he, course, Mimi Siku wakes up and takes the blanket that Tim had had wrapped over him and put it puts it over Tim's shoulders, and then he goes inside. Doesn't decide. Doesn't 
doesn't bring doesn't sit Tim upright so that he doesn't have the worst I, back pain tomorrow. Thank you. Like Tim is sitting, folks. Like he is. He was sitting up. He knocks himself out with the with the dart, and then he like falls forward, so his head is between his knees. And Mimi Siku <laughs> just puts the blanket over his back, so Tim is gonna spend six to eight hours with his head between his knees, like doubled over. Like oh my god, I cannot even imagine. Uh, next morning. The neighbor is feeding some birds. And, Get ready. Uh, you know, it's breakfast time, so Mimi Siku is out there with his bow and arrow and uh, aims carefully, and <laughs> he blood blood spatters all over the neighbor woman's face. I mean, a pigeon has been massacred. Okay, now, I don't want to kill the joke. We don't... Okay, blood does not splatter over the lady's face, but we do see fully on camera an arrow go through this pigeon and pin it to a wall. We see an arrow killing a bird. It's not just... It Four animal killing so far. <laughs> it's not. It's not like it happens off camera and we hear a shriek or we cut to... A, an image of the arrow pinning it to the wall. It's we see it. Ha- we see the last instant of this pigeon's life. They may as well be showing the Zapruder yeah. film in this movie. It's <laughs> it is a snuff film. It's it's pretty bad. I mean, it is a puppet, obviously. I mean, yeah, not, not a real pigeon. A pigeon for this, but, but wouldn't be fucked uh, up. If I they mean, did. it's it's pretty visceral, regardless. Yeah. Um, and of course, Tim's like, "What the fuck are you doing? Get in here! You don't kill pigeons. Listen, kids your age, they eat this." And he pulls a box of Captain Crunch out, sets it in front of him, and tries to explain cereal to him. He's like, "Okay, I got to get going to work. Uh, you just enjoy enjoy your Captain Crunch. Yeah, that'll entertain you for eight hours. While yeah, I'm at just, work. just eat a bunch of super sugary cereal for the first time in your life. I'm sure this won't influence your behavior in any way." He then he then goes to his fiance and is telling her like, "Hey, can you just like look after Mimi Siku for the day while I'm at work? How did you not discuss this sooner?" And she's going like, "Oh, well, I have all these things to do." And he says, "Oh, it's fine. You don't need to babysit him. He'll be fine." And it's like, "Tim, this is not true. This is clearly a lie. You've been with the child. He needs constant supervision. He gets in. He f- you left him alone to go to the bathroom for two minutes, and he climbed out on a ledge. He needs to have someone sitting and watching him, possibly handcuffed to him. And you're just telling your fiance, oh, it's cool. No, it's chill. I got to go deal with coffee futures. <laughs> Uh, and he does. He goes well, he, to look at coffee futures, and I, I, I'm sorry. He yeah. well, first he goes back to the futures. Second, he is on his way out the door. Mimi Siku is like, "Oh, we're going to the Statue of Liberty today." And Tim says, "Oh, no, tomorrow." And he says, "Oh, you said tomorrow yesterday." And he says, "Yes, but I have to go do trades today. I'm obligated." What's obligated? It's when you have to do something oh, you don't want to do. Oh, okay, I got you. So then he leaves. So he's explained the concept of obligated to Mimi Siku, folks. This will come back in a minute. <laughs> I guess he wasn't obligated to come to the city to get the fire from the Statue of Liberty. It's a different yeah. interpretation of obligation. I don't know. Um, Tim leaves, and uh, he Mimi Siku hits another fly, fifth animal death in the movie. Yep, because um, he's gonna feed the uh, feed a spider, and of course he opens the spider thing to feed, and something distracts him, and the spider gets loose and traps his fiance in the thing. I mean, look, I'm not going to dwell on this. It's the third time we've seen a spider gag in this movie yeah. already. This is, I, I, and it's not the last. I Like, my note at this point in Furious All Caps is, God damn it, 90% of this fucking movie is either stock market jargon or gags that involve close-up shots of a gigantic hairy spider. <laughs> I mean, that's really it. Like, if you think that people being terrified of a disgusting spider is funny, I have I found a movie it for l- you. 
at least in Bigfoot, the unforgettable encounter, there's only one scene with a bear. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Even in the, I am a little, I'm a little concerned about wild America. I'll be honest with you. Okay. But. Look, even in the Revenant, there's only one scene with a bear. This movie I is all that, things though. that I'm scared. Yeah. You, I, I, not, I remember, I remember that. I, and I remember thinking afterwards, why did you go see the Revenant? I feel like the bear was part of the marketing. Um, <laughs> So, at this point, so, yeah, so, uh, Tim's fiance trapped in the bathroom by the spider. Mimi Siku goes out and starts walking around the city while a Peter Gabriel song plays. <laughs> uh, Nothing said world music like Peter Gabriel. Cinematic yeah. world music like Peter Gabriel. I, I feel like his 90s career was entirely just about, I think he wrote Salisbury Hill for some sort of movie, knowing he's like, this is going to be the perfect, I'm going to ride the residuals of this song to my grave. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and, you know, look, Mimi Siku is trying to get the fire from the Statue of Liberty, and as Peter Gabriel said in his song In Your Eyes, the light, the heat, like the fire in the Statue of Liberty, makes you think, doesn't it? to the Statue of Liberty. Yep. Yep. (laughs) Mimi Siku sees a... A uh, person, uh, a hungry person, a starving homeless person experiencing homelessness, unhoused person, and uh, just chilling, minding his own business, and he just slaps a dead pigeon in his hand, yep. saying, eat, eat. Yep. Number six, dead animal number six. Well, I know it's the same dead animal from earlier. It's just a new shot of it, Landon. We're holding steady at five, okay? Well, no, no, no. Are you, are you suggesting that he went to his neighbor's <laughs> Is that house? Is that so implausible? He climbs the Statue of Liberty in like two minutes. Yes, he got over to his neighbor's penthouse. He Nathan draked that shit. There were like yellow bits like, on the I side can't of waste the building that, arrow. that he climb up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's not. This is a concrete jungle. I can't fashion more arrows here. Yeah, I need to go and salvage that arrow. And why not? While I'm at it, grab that pigeon. Yeah, I, exactly. He's a good. He's a good hunter. He's a man in his tribe. This makes sense. Don't okay. don't act like I'm the weird one for th- for believing that's the same pigeon from before. It's 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 uh it's Chekhov's pigeon. If a if a pigeon is killed in the first scene, uh, a bum needs to be handed that pigeon in the next scene. <laughs> okay, all right, all right. Uh, so yeah, he. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Tim and Martin, uh, back at the office, have found a buyer for their coffee. This is intercut yep. with Mimi Siku hitching a ride out to Liberty Island on the back of the ferry, and then. Climbing the Statue of Liberty and sitting up on the crown of the Statue of Liberty. But, and at, th- at this point, I'm like, what the fuck? I thought this was going to be the climax of the movie because this is what he was set out to. Like, he's climbed right. the Statue of Liberty. We're like halfway, not even halfway. It's bad writing. Yeah. It's 100% bad writing. It's, and it, it pulls directly from the original movie, which was the Eiffel Tower. But duh. it happens in the same exact way at the same exact halfway point in the movie where it's just like, okay, we've seen half of the movie. He's reached the place that he wants to go. I think, you know, we have another half of movie. What's going to be good to insert here to fill this out? I don't know. Russian yeah, mafia, Russian gangsters. Mafia. There's so much more coffee futures material. We can't be, like, leaving the Statue of Liberty dangling. We got to get that, that get that shit out of the way. I, I love that the, the people who wrote Stand By Me looked at the script and were like, yeah, he climbs the Statue of Liberty in the middle of the movie and then forgets about his quest until the last 10 minutes when we need the movie to be over. That's fine. Yeah. Leave it as is. Just put in some jokes about postal employees killing people. It'll be fine. Totally Americanized. Um, back at the office, Tim and uh, Martin are getting ready. Um, I think Martin at this point has said that he thinks that he has a buyer for uh, for the coffee futures. Yes. And so they're getting ready to go out 
uh, to meet this guy. And um, on their way out, there's a phone call for for Tim. Hey, it's a police station. Uh, the police have picked up your kid. Yep. What? 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 <laughs> so they have to. So he goes and he gets Mimi Siku out of jail and is walking out of the jail with him, getting angry at him for having done this. Yep. And Mimi Siku is saying, like, well, you keep... How dare you go and have an adventure and not just stay put in the apartment like I assumed you would? <laughs> Why? Yeah. Also, at no point does he ask him, like, hey, so you left the apartment. Did my fiancé try to stop you? What happened with my fiancé? Did you and my fiancé <laughs> hang out? Is there something prohibiting her from interacting with you at the apartment? Uh... <laughs> So he's mad at him, and Mimi Siku gets mad at Tim and says, well, you're always mad at me. If you don't have time for me, then why did you bring me here? And Tim says, I was obligated. And Mimi Siku hears this and is devastated by this, and he goes running off, and Tim is trying to chase him. And at this point, I'm sitting there thinking, he just climbed the Statue of Liberty. Oh, okay, well, I guess now he's going to go off and get lost in New York, and the second half of the movie is Mimi Siku trying to adapt to the urban jungle and Tim himself trying to learn hunter-gatherer skills to find Mimi Siku. Nope, Tim catches up with him. movie. I, I, not as good as a movie where he climbs the Statue of Liberty at the end of it, but still a better movie than the one that we got. <laughs> still a better movie I mean, than it's the... it's a little bit lost, Home Alone lost in New York, but... Um, Fuck you it, know, right? Still better. You, still better. You go to war with the movie you've got. Who cares if it's derivative? <laughs> it's still better than what we wind up with. But Yeah, no, but no, the uh, that's not what happens. Tim catches up to Mimi Siku two seconds later... <laughs> <laughs> and uh they run through traffic this is i like was a little worried here i mean the the because i mean it'd be one inducing. thing if it was stunt people but it like and in the in the original like they had the kid running headlong into traffic like the shot was not didn't feel like it was trick it was just like kid just run straight and trust our stunt drivers <laughs> and i was like this is dangerous i don't feel comfortable with this at all D- disney had so many child stars going at the time they were like okay we've got a survival of the fittest this one whichever ones <laughs> live through production they're the ones who uh, get extended contracts and, you know i want to i want to just say something about sam huntington i think i i've always thought he was a pretty good actor and i i think this movie's awful but he is doing something with the really awfully written character, just foundationally bad character. There is something very charming about his performance. I, you know, he, he there's an honesty there, but yeah. there's a charm. It's mixed with a lot of really endearing traits. I, I I totally agree. He he is doing the best he can with terrible material that just should not have been written because it's so bad but uh yeah no i mean i I think his performance is good i I wish that it could break through the crappiness of everything else around it but yeah he's 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 great he's doing a good job as good as anyone can do decides hey okay we'll spend some time together i guess but (laughs) uh you aren't a man i don't know they they argue about being a man new york is very dangerous and mimi says you know you need to stay with me mimi says no 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 I can handle it. I'm a man. Tim says, you're not a man. You're an adolescent. Mimi Siku says, Tim is an adolescent. There's this back and forth arguing about who's a man. Tim finally relents and agrees that Mimi Siku is a man. And he says, but you need to learn how men do things in my jungle. And my note here is just, no! (laughs) 
This is me, Martin Short, screaming <laughs> with my face against the window. That's that's you uh, on the planet surface yelling to Khan. Yeah. Who's orbiting the, this, the planet. This is me riding my horse down the beach and then seeing the shattered remains of the Statue of Liberty and realizing that I've been <laughs> on, on Tim Allen's planet the whole time. I've just, I, I don't know, I've just spent the past four and a half years of my life watching Tim Allen try to teach boys how to be men. And I, I really... The prospect of him doing more of that, I, fortunately, the movie doesn't have any direction whatsoever, and it doesn't follow through on any of the promises it makes. So we don't get this. None but at I was, all. I was really worried we were going into a montage of him like teaching Mimi Siku how to like scratch his nuts or like barbecue <laughs> and right <laughs> instead of a loincloth, it's a tool belt. Oh <laughs> God, yeah, yeah. Uh, um. Okay. What? Ha- okay. So the, here in my jungle, you just if you want to get somewhere, you don't run. You just put your arm out. Try it. Hey. Okay. Puts his arm out. A thing. The taxi taxi stops. What we call them. Hey. It's magic. No. What will be magic is if the taxi driver speaks English. <laughs> I'm a normal white guy in New York. That's still a minority because New York is a. Very robust melting pot of a lot of different cultures. Oh, get ready, because we're going to find out about that (laughs) soon. Uh, They meet up at the fish market, where Martin is there uh, about to meet up with this buyer of the coffee futures he found. Yep, who seems like a pretty sketchy dude. And there's this whole deal about he's this guy's the king of caviar, and he'll buy coffee futures for some reason, and uh, you've got to go up to his office above the fish market, and you've got to... Ring the bell once and knock twice and... It's, uh, it's, you know, I have to imagine this guy is like um, we saw Ray Plevin on that episode of Tool Time recently hawking the cherry burger. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think this king of caviar is working on some sort of Java-flavored caviar for the, you know, uh, New York elite. Um, the only thing 90s yuppies liked more than their espressos was their caviar, and this guy is trying to blend the two together. <laughs> <laughs> Starbucks is is lining up outside, but there there. So the guy downstairs who's telling him about like you've got to ring the bell once, knock twice, ring three times. He's like missing a couple of his fingers, and they say, "Oh, what happened to his I, fingers?" Yeah. He rang four times. So again, PG thirteen children's film. This man had fingers cut off by this man because he didn't knock the right number of times. Yep, they get they get in there after some comedy over how the, many times they're supposed to knock. That just even Martin Short can't save this bit. And, no, nope. And uh, yeah, it's a skeevy. The, even the Russian, even the guy inside the the mafia boss, it seems like he's fed up with the bit. Not like just open the door. He's just like this. End the fucking bit and come inside. I don't. Just, it wasn't that good to begin with. Get to my character introduction already. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it's a skeevy dude who's very clearly the Russian mafia. I, I, I put I yeah. put down here that thankfully these guys are Russian and not some other racial caricature. Like at least we're making fun of Slavics, which as a Slavic person I can I can you know appreciate. But uh, so <laughs> there's a whole bunch of then like Tim and Martin sitting there and Mimi Siku sitting with them and just a lot of business just talking back and forth about how so much business they're gonna buy the russian guys are gonna buy the stock futures for coffee from from tim and martin and even like as they're discussing it and i'm paying close attention and taking notes 32 year old college educated truman caps can't fully understand what the bit is so i'm sure all the kids in the audience <laughs> were totally vibing off of this uh and 
Only, only when the guy brings over a suitcase full of cash to buy it does Tim realize that this is a Russian mafia money laundering operation. Only then. Only then. And mind you, uh, Martin Short, who is reportedly a great analyst, also at no point in bringing this to Tim's attention, at no point did he realize what this was. But I think he, no, I think he knew. I think he knew and just didn't want to tell Tim until wow. it was too late. And. Wow. Uh, I mean, who gives a shit? A lot, a lot. You're, you're, no, I like that you're imparting so much more depth to Martin Short's character in Jungle to Jungle than I am. I, I, I like that. Well, I mean, he has a little I, I secret. I mean, he was a little nervous when he told Tim initially, hey, I think I found a buyer, but, you know, he's not very forthcoming with who it is and, like, he's being a little sketchy about it. Um, but what, I don't want to waste any more time with these Russian no. mafia guys. Tim takes Mimi Siku. He's like, okay, listen, can we talk talk this over before we make a deal? And the guy goes, yes, of course. Go outside, talk to you, blah, 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 blah. And Tim's like, okay, Martin, this is insane. He's clearly with the mafia. We're leaving. Goodbye. And he takes uh, Mimi Siku away and leaving Martin there uh, to then be intimidated alone with, uh, with the head of the Russian mafia and agrees to the deal. Yep. <laughs> um... And we go to Central Park. We got to talk about oh, this for the we next four hours. Have to talk about this scene, which I went back and rewatched before we recorded today, because this scene is great. They get hot. Tim is saying, "This is America," as he buys him hot dog and is walking around uh, Mimi Siku. Uh, not Mimi Siku. Walking around the park with Mimi Siku. Yeah. So. I heard you change your position to speak more seriously about this. <laughs> they're walking through the park. Stop yeah. me at any point if you have, if, but they're walking through the park and yep. there's, you know, hey, New York City, Gabagool. There's, you know, um, yeah, all kinds of people walking around. There's black people. More, there's Latinos. There's more, more people Jews. than Gabagool. Yes, certainly, certainly. Uh, and Mimisiku is looking at all these people and goes, many tribes in your village, baboon. And... And Tim just goes, yeah, I guess there are. <laughs> and I just, <laughs> I don't know what I wanted instead, but I just love how little interest Tim shows. In the, like, his his son is having this profound moment of kind of recognizing the diversity of America, arguably, like, the one of the only good things about this country. And Tim's just like, nah, whatever, yeah, I guess. <laughs> it's, just, it's just very characteristic response from this character to uh, this boy celebrating racial diversity. Just like, nah, yeah, whatever, I guess. <laughs> but then, then, oh, then, 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 oh, then, <laughs> as they move through Central Park, they they hear the the melodic sounds of a Central Park band oh rock band a a veritable gen x band of banders there 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 are a couple of non-blondes uh in this band not four of them but it's got no this is this is like i i I cannot figure out like earlier uh mimi siku walked by a drum circle and i thought oh okay that seems like a thing that would appeal to this very stereotypical mindset that they've set up with this kid uh, at some point, they'll go back to that, and I thought that that's kind of where they were heading with this, but then, no, it turns out it's like a full seven or eight-person band. <laughs> and and I went back, and I counted up the instrumentation. There are, I oh, think, great. four percussionists playing, like, bongos, uh-huh. tom-toms, like a, just like a handful of, like, things that you shake that, that rattle. A dude in, in some of the weirdest overalls 
we get we get confronted with so many overalls making this I mean, podcast. It's, it's very nineties. Yeah, I, overalls and tie dye shirts came in real heavy in ninety seven, ninety eight. Uh, overalls, and he's got like pans hanging off of his neck, and he's drumming on them. And then, so four percussionists, a flutist, a bassist, and a blonde white lady singing. Um, with there's a backup singer that has green hair. Oh yes. There's a. I don't know if one of the percussionists you've counted was the guy that had um, two pans over yeah, his yeah, neck. That's o- twine. Yeah, that's okay. overalls guy. Overalls guy. Yeah, he's, he's drumming oh, on the pans. Guy. That guy is. Listen, that guy is the slash of of this of this group. That guy is the standout. <laughs> <laughs> he's the he's the um, Mick Jagger of this Central Park World Music Band. Mimi Siku is so excited about this music uh and this is uh, the band before they even arrive has accumulated a crowd watching um that listen i've never been to new york it's one of the things i'm ashamed to say yeah i i know the general apathy of (laughs) public performers and the people around them um that or the apathy that the people around them have in no world outside of a disney movie would this conglomeration of people be here right no that i as someone who's been to new york three times in his life i've never seen anything like that and i look i think i think you could have elton john out there like debuting new music and 90 percent of the people walking by like get the fuck out of my way i have to get to my train (laughs) i okay i now listen i i I just want to just Pin this and say I I could do an entire podcast only on this scene. I t- and I totally every agree. individual every extra, extra that's in it a frame by frame shit. podcast. <laughs> I, I would not be opposed to that because there, it is a tapestry of uh, just central casting. It is a tapestry <laughs> of of background actors who were told just dance. Be, because that's what they're doing and well no there, there's a little more to the costuming department that's just like we need diversity we need variety we need joggers we need rabbis we need uh business people we need people on rollerblades we need it's old people we need young people we need tank tops we, we need, need jews business suits we need jews we need orthodox jews well, we need one Orthodox Jew. Oh my God! It's there's. We need babies. We need fanny packs. We need backpacks. We need bicycles. We need briefcases. I, I, it's. We need police officers. We, we need a. We need a guy in a white T-shirt holding a walkie-talkie who very well might be a production assistant who just kind of wandered into the shot. And on top of that, on top of just the people watching. They're dancing. They're yes. not dancers. This isn't like a <laughs> This isn't a flash mob. This is a bunch of production crew who can't dance. It's like kind of just like rough I feel like they had just like they might have had a metronome going to give us general beat, but there's just people doing like people at the edges are kind of just like me at any given dance just kind of moving from one <laughs> foot to the next and kind of loosely swinging their arms. And there's people more involved in the front like kind of waving their arms over their head and kind of swaying back and forth. <laughs> There, Mimi. It's just it's it's you can't not take your eyes off of it. it it's and so this, I'm lost. We're we're so distracted from the actual action of the scene, which is Mimi Siku's excited about it and starts dancing and tries to get everyone else to dance and pulls Tim in. And Tim's like, "Oh yeah, no, I don't dance, especially in public." And but he's like, "No, no, no, come out here and dance." And then Tim starts dancing with Mimi Siku, and we get Tim Allen dancing for. <laughs> 
three minutes. He, he's doing a bit at one point in the dance. Like, I, I want to see the rough cut. Like, how much raw footage of Tim <laughs> Allen dancing did they have? Because Not much, because I'm telling you, as we've seen on Home Improvement, his only move is those baby circles. He... <laughs> Well, no, there's one other move that I saw where he's doing like a bit where he's like slapping himself in the face as he dances. Like I, I, I saw that move. So maybe he innovated a new dance move for this. God. The, yeah, it's, I, 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 it's just very interesting. It's just a very interesting scene because as, as they're very interesting, there's, and as the whole crowd closes in around them to dance there is a black dude doing break dancing in the background and then an orthodox jew dancing through the frame in the foreground oh, uh, just, it's just it's a it's beautiful it was a salve in the middle of this movie I, that i needed I, I watched this movie in two parts and i was i started it kind of late on like a saturday night and i knew i wasn't going to finish the whole thing and when i got to this scene i was like and intermission this is where we stop i i cannot nothing i see in this movie will top this i'm gonna go to bed with dreams of this dance in my mind folks don't watch jungle to jungle but if you have disney plus go to roughly the 58 minute mark and watch this dance scene (laughs) you don't need to see anything else this dance scene though is a whole ass mood (laughs) we go back home after all this a little bit later a home that needs some improvement (laughs) tim and mimi walk in uh, and they call out, hey, Charlie, how'd the interview go? Um, apparently with the, the photographers or whoever the fuck she's interviewing with. I don't know. And she's still trapped in the bathroom because the spider, which is still like, I feel like even the spider would have gotten bored. At some point uh, yeah. This movie. Is this spider on Adderall? How does it have so much focus for so long? Uh, <laughs> like, wouldn't the spider just be like, okay, I get She stopped screaming. Like, uh, is she still in there? I don't know. Let me go fucking find some flies around this apartment I, or go out on the the balcony and eat a pigeon yeah the spider's in a new environment too doesn't it want to see the city doesn't it want to go get a t-shirt down at the empire state building uh, it's a whole other it's a pixar movie that's in development the spider's on a sex in the city tour or something like that uh it's 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 hanging out with the naked cowboy it's having a great time uh she she does say I've, off. I've been I've been trapped in this bathroom for hours and tim goes well i hope you open a window Ba-dum-bum. she's pissed off and she, she's pissed off. He tries to explain it's a pet. It's his pet. And she goes, no, a dog is a pet. Um, and then she says something about a spider being a dietary supplement as well. I don't know. I just I, I checked out here. She, she I, I did, too. She's upset. The documentary cra- camera crew arrives and she basically packs all her things up and explains that she missed the whole day of work because she was trapped in the bathroom. So now she is going to she rented a loft so she can catch up on work. She leaves and the camera crew leaves. And uh, Tim, Tim is. Yeah. Well, yeah, I don't need to go. OK, later, later on. Mimi is uh, sad that Charlie didn't like her. Charlie being the fiance um, and then asks, uh, you know, why did mom leave you? Um, Tim says, well, I guess I took her for granted. Um, mm-hmm. I probably should have tried a little bit harder. Yeah. And um, starts to show, I wouldn't quite call it remorse, <laughs> but awareness maybe might be the better word for it. This this scene where they have, like, he's explaining about, like, you know, there's so many females in your village, baboon. Why did you only pick one? And Tim is explaining about the concept of monogamy. And when you fall in love with someone, it's like that's the only thing you can ever see. And it just Tim Allen in this scene opening up and being genuine with his son. Tim Allen is such a good actor and compelling when he is not 
trying to be prickly and angry and sharp elbowed yeah. and funny when he's just like engaging and being genuine he he can sell that very well and in this scene it's like yeah. wow i wish wish we could have a little bit of this in the rest of the movie because i like this a lot more than what we've been getting absolutely <laughs> yeah. um we go to martin's house mimi's being dropped off to stay with martin's wife and his daughter while well, tim and martin go off to do something why, why did we think this was a good idea look what happened last like this whole movie is just tim allen trying to leave mimi siku unattended finding out that that leads to disaster and then just leaving him unattended with someone else again and again that's the entire business of the movie uh <laughs> so they leave it yeah so they he takes mimi siku to martin short's house where he meets martin short's wife and daughter and uh and youngest son andrew um yep. Back at the office. And, well, worth saying that uh, it's the, you know, not love at first sight. It's This is love at second sight now because they had seen each other. Uh, they had their first meet cute in the, the loft earlier on uh, at the, the dress fitting. Yeah. Um, she was witness to him going out on the ledge. Um, I love, okay, so in the midst of him dropping him off, we cut back to the <laughs> to the office real quick where Martin is. Yeah. And there's, there's a, a stock ticker on the wall. <laughs> <laughs> and it just it starts flashing like it's the sign the the road sign from la's story yeah like i've never seen a ticker that just goes it starts blinking doom 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 <laughs> coffee plunges lowest since 79 <laughs> and then the, the ticker starts going again it's re- yeah it's just like we, we we interrupt these stock prices for a special report about the value of coffee uh, i don't know just the the sheer laziness of that really made me laugh it's pretty good um, it's pretty good i uh, okay so back at martin's house where we're, we're getting to meet the family um yeah her, her brother the little brother is playing game boy and he's that typical like oh fuck everyone i'm in that phase of my life mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um he we see the the uh aquarium filled with expensive fish oh boy oh boy <laughs> Oh boy! Oh boy! These animals are gonna too. live a long time, don't you think? Yeah. Uh, we got to that to the kitchen where uh, mom is making some fish sticks for lunch, and Mimi Siku uh, takes one out of the box, still frozen, bites into it, and goes, "Gross!" Yep, that's yep. not fish. No, that's no, not no. A fucking fish. <laughs> and I thought it was gonna be a joke of like. You know, they process fish sticks with meat that is adjacent to fish, but not actually fish. Um, the mom just kind of like, because he walks off frame and she just laughs at him and goes, oh, you poor thing. Um, it kind of bothered me. Yeah. <laughs> this whole movie just has a really yeah, that, low level of the, that kind of bothered me. You can pick any one thing in this movie that kind of bothered you is, is really something. Um, so oh, let's just keep going. Uh, uh, Tim is at a fancy restaurant with his fiance trying to kind of smooth things over, but he's interrupted by right. Martin, who has arrived yeah. in a state of high anxiety and meets him by the, uh, he calls him, beckons him over to by the um, heat lamp where the cooks are dropping off the food. And he's explaining to Tim while anxiously just eating shrimps off of someone else's plate, which <laughs> is admittedly some really great business from from Martin Short that I love. Uh, he explains now, this is where you really had to pay attention to the dynamics and the negotiation and the contract signed with the mo- Russian mafia here because Martin informs Tim, "Hey, 
coffee has plunged, which means that it looks like to the Russian mafia that we sold him those stock futures or the coffee futures, knowing that they were going to plunge, and so we were taking advantage of him. Mm-hmm. Yes, and they and you know he's got. And he explains also to Tim, like, yes, I actually went through with the deal after you left. I have this suitcase full of money here. And and I guess... We didn't bring it up earlier, but when, when the Russian mafia show in the briefcase... Like, there's there's always been the joke made of, like, uh, $1 million, and you open it up, and it's just like a suitcase tightly packed with, with you know, uh, dollar bills, you know... Uh, you know, big, big stacks of dollar bills. It's like, that would be like maybe $60,000 million. Yeah. That's not a real number. You know what I mean? And this one, they open the suitcase and it's just like no organization to it. No, whatsoever. no, it's just loosely. It's like somebody was in one of those like, okay, you have 30 seconds to step in this glass booth and grab as much cash as you can, stuff it into the suitcase before you leave and the timer runs out. Okay, go. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's bad. It's not... It was not like how do you even know there's a million dollars in there? No one counted this. It was it's like me packing a bag when I have not packed more than like an hour before I have to leave. Just throwing shit in there and jamming the top shut trying to get it closed. Oh my god. So uh yeah, but so he explains all about how, oh well, you know, he stole the trade documents for the coffee out of a safe and forged Tim's signature, so that was how he could complete the sale. All of this needs to be explained. And, uh, yeah, but so now because the the value is dropping, the Russians are going to be mad, and so they have to figure out a way to solve this. So Tim has to leave his fiancée to go solve this problem with Martin Short. That's absolutely accurate. (laughs) And then we, and so off of, so, you know, we've just gotten, we've just had a whole bunch of uh, future, commodity futures uh, intrigue, and we cut from this back to the other thing this movie does great, which is, yep, dead animals, (laughs) Mimi Siku oh sitting in the backyard with a fire and a bunch of charbroiled tropical fish on a stick. I don't I don't know if you're giving me the last pigeon uh, for my animal count, but uh, whether you are or not, I've lost count with how many fish it's there like are. It's like five here or six fish on the stick. So we're we're up to at least ten animal deaths in this movie yeah it's it's uh, again this is kind of the cannibal holocaust of children's movies there weren't even that many in a cannibal holocaust there are just like three really bad ones and and so so you know mimi siku shows this off to the family and they are um you know the, the the mom tries a taste of one of them not fully realizing what Mimi Siku has cooked until Mimi Siku says, oh, I got them from the house pond. And she goes, house pond? Um, <laughs> cut. Speaking of fish, we then cut back to the fish market where Tim yep. and uh, Martin Short have shown up to try and uh, smooth things over with the Russian guy who uh, gives them some caviar and they don't want to eat the caviar. Just like Mimi Siku slapped the lizard guts in his hand, the Russian slaps just a handful of sturgeon eggs. Yeah. Pre, the pre-caviar into his hand. <laughs> and they they both don't want to eat it. Tim is saying like, oh, you got to have toast points or something. And then the guy threatens them and they both eat it. And it is pretty funny. They both go, oh, that is just good. It's so good. It's just so incredibly fishy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so... <laughs> And in this scene, then, they, like, the Russian guy is upset that the value of the coffee futures has dropped, 
and they and Tim and Martin are saying yes, which is why we've brought this cash here. We want to buy the futures back from you. And the Russian guy is saying, ah, oh, but the futures are worth less than a million dollars now. And they're saying yes, but we want to give you a million dollars for them anyway. It's this whole complicated negotiation, and I just want to give credit to my girlfriend, Kirsty, who was watching this with me, and she said about, I don't know, a minute into these negotiations about how much are we going to pay for the coffee futures that have decreased in value, she goes, this is like succession. What is this doing in a kid's movie? (laughs) (laughs) They're spending so much time talking about commodity futures. I will bludgeon this horse beyond the grave but it's it's such an esoteric concept for an adult to get their head around the concept of a a they are buying a document that that represents the assumed future value of a quantity of a good and you expect a seven-year-old to get this and understand the stakes i really think that there is a lost culture point to what was happening in the 90s. Clearly, we were like in the post-greed-is-good era, but if you look at the movies that were being made at the time, children's movies, Richie Rich, Blank Check, (laughs) First Kid, I mean, King Ralph, granted that's not a kid's movie necessarily, but, you know, they're all about like the stock market and corporate wealth. intrigue and like yeah <laughs> yes. yes yeah the the only kid that would enjoy this is Alex P Keaton from Family Ties no other kid is going to be no it was like i would i could give a shit about accumulating wealth at the age of 12 i was just all i wanted was nick to come to my school yeah <laughs> <laughs> like my my conception of accumulating wealth as a kid is Scrooge McDuck swimming in a pool full of gold coins. That is wealth, not coffee futures. That would have made this movie better. Yes, absolutely. If it had just if they had represented wealth that way, then I would have bought your movie. If it was just the Russian guy wanted to swim in their gold coin pool, fine. That's some stakes. <laughs> uh, but anyway, he okay, takes back the money home. back and he gives them oh, the yeah, certificates oh, yeah, the, the certificates that yeah. represent the coffee futures great okay so they change off the money problem solved tim leaves abandons martin short at the fish market and uh yeah so then uh we go back home yep tim is trying to smooth things over with charlie his fiance yet again yep. twice in one day <laughs> yep that's all this movie um, is does so by putting a bracelet on her wrist and saying, you know, hey, this is just the beginning of the apology. Things are going to be great tonight. She decides she's going to go put on something more comfortable, and he's going to open the champagne. As he is in the kitchen doing that, uh, he finds the blow dart gun. Oh, the boy. The dart blow gun, or I don't even know what you call it. And something and definitely decides, blows. Oh, you know what? I, I did this before, and I fell asleep. This is definitely the right time to just fuck around and play with it again. Uh, for <laughs> Absolutely no reason. This this does have huge Tim on tool time energy, though. I will give you that. Fair. That is true. It is within his character. Uh, and he picks it up and uh, he sees a uh, um, decorative gong over in the corner that is painted to look like a target. And he's like, hey, that's the perfect thing to aim at. And he does it. And then we get it ricocheting off of that, off a of bell, off of something else, and directly into the cat. Yep. Take that, animal. <laughs> 
<laughs> not dead. If you, not, it's not it, technically it, dead. And so you count yourself as lucky, Fluffy. You're an you're an animal in this movie. You are fortunate to come out alive. But yeah, the the cat passes out, and Tim goes, "Oh no!" Which is, I mean, as a home improvement watcher, I am I am delighted a little bit by that. Um, so then we get a. Uh, we we get a whole bunch of business with him trying to revive the cat while while his fiance is talking to him through the door and it's a thing. There's one kind of good bit where he's holding this completely limp cat in his in his hands and he's going like, oh oh look at that what's that? It's a mouse. Go get it. And then he drops the cat and which is the cat just goes out of frame and just hear just hear a thud. It's, it just thuds on the ground. That's I will good. say That's it is funny. it's a really it's it's a really good doll. Yeah. I mean the the puppet that they created for this is uh is it's pretty pretty it's got a lot of like joints and stuff like that. It's got a lot of movement, limp movement to it. Yes. Yes. Uh so uh meanwhile Tim gets oh no. The, meanwhile Martin Short comes back to his house, discovers that yep. his tank full of fish are dead. And then yep. gets upset. So not only has uh, not only has Mimi Siku killed the fish and eaten them, but now we get to see the owner of the fish mourning their loss and talking about how much the fish meant to him and how it's, this is a deep emotional a wound. It was a grotesque. Like they gave a lot of breath to the scene of Martin Short going, "My favorite fish, <laughs> Blinky." Yeah, he'd follow he my, my finger. He would. He would follow. My finger as I pushed it against the thing, and then he's holding the fish in his hand and moving the finger in the yeah, fish the, the dead down. barbecue. Like, now I gotta, <sighs> <laughs> and, and it's just like it's like a good thirty seconds of him mourning his fish, and, and it's like for fuck's sake. And Martin Short's character is not deserving of that. Like he's not cruel. He's definitely neurotic and incompetent. But like he's not done anything. To des- like Tim is a much crueler person and more deserving of this to happen to it. Just, it it is, it is disturbing on multiple levels. The sacrifice of the yep. fish, like what it does to Martin Short, this friendly man whose life is being ruined. It's very weird. Well, Truman, we're we're not even done with the fish trauma yet because okay, the wife goes okay. I can see this is bad for everyone. Let's all go to bed and. Uh, Mimi Siku's feeling bad for what he did and decides, you know what, I'm going to fix this. And he goes out to the pond out back and uh, gets a big uh, bucket with him, fills yep. it with water, and is putting his hands into the pond and pulling out fish, <laughs> pulling fish from their home, and then just in the middle of the night while they're trying to sleep, just tossing them through the air <laughs> into a bucket on the shore. A Pike Place Market in Seattle, throwing fish around. Um <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, the daughter, uh, uh, Martin Short's daughter, sees this happening out the window and goes out there. And Mimi Siku then is in the water with her, teaching her how to catch fish, standing behind her, guiding her hands like ghost but with fish. <laughs> Righteous and brothers. And she catches one, and then she, she traumatizes a fish by throwing it from the middle of the pond into a bucket. I can't throw a wad of paper into the garbage can two feet away but on her first try this girl is underhanding a smallmouth bass across the lawn into a bucket how is she this good uh, I, just, I, I just worry for like these fish who like they probably this is this the equivalent of a fish 
having a dream that they can fly i i mean well but you compare this to like did you see the video of like there's some river where they have set up an elaborate like suction pneumatic system to like take trout out of the river and then it redirects them over dry land in a series of tubes full of water and then shoots them out on the other side of the dam want to see that it's 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 wild or or the fish or when they restock a a like mountain lake with trout and they just fly a plane over it and dump fish out live fish from the plane into the water like humans do weird stuff with fish all the time so maybe for this fish it's just normal i, I don't know oh my god um so in the process right after this he starts to paint her face and tell him tell her about his tribe and then gives her he, he get, uh, a, a name ukume which ukume which uh, means sound of rain on river water. Um, okay, I, I mean that's a pretty calming name. I, 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 I wouldn't be too bad about that. Look, I just have to take a second, and I I know that we're trying to get to the end of this thing because Lord, we all have better stuff to do. But this <laughs> Mimi Siku's got some game. Like this is pickup artist shit. Like he first he first. <laughs> First, he negs her by killing and eating her dad's fish. Then he... Are you saying mystery took his whole game from this? I, I'm, I'm t- He's like, I can't do face paint, but I can do Dr. Seuss hats. I can do I can do close-up sleight of hand magic. That's almost as good. And wear a fedora. Uh, but yeah, like, you know... I can't, I can't do face paint, but I can do eyeliner. <laughs> yeah, it's... You know, there's... This is fishing, and then he does peacocking instead. Um... Yeah, it, you know, but I mean, this the the, la- the ladies love it. You know, draw them outside for a little moonlight barehanded trout catching. Give them give them a name with some you know fancy uh, uh, symbolic oh meaning God. that sounds like a lower back tattoo in Chinese. Sound of rain on river water. Well, it's just a good move. I, I hate to say this, you're kind of taking the the like the steam out of something I thought was kind of cool what? that they gave uh, the girl the agency to make the moves and like I thought that was kind of cool to, to <sighs> yes. see that. You, you know, you don't have to always wait for the guy to make the move. True. If you're into it, you know, just own your own agency and do your thing. True. Um, but now you're kind of making it into like a Svengali sort of situation. <laughs> I mean. Where she didn't have a chance even though she thought she did. <laughs> I mean, well, yeah. And this, I, it's up for debate, though. I mean, is Deckard a replicant? Well, there's there's evidence in Blade Runner for, for both <laughs> sides of it. It's kind of the same thing. Uh, okay, all right. Be- because you know, it, per your point about agency, in the morning, Martin Sh- uh, Martin Short wakes up, sees his daughter and Mimi Siku sleeping in the same hammock. He screams. Well, yeah, and we can't skip out. over the fact that they kiss. I mean, they, they do kiss, kiss big time. They do kiss. They kiss big time. Uh, and you know, in the morning, Martin Short sees them together, and he screams and freaks out, which is his only reaction to anything. And immediately decides <laughs> he's sending he's sending his daughter to camp because Mimi Siku is putting the moves on my daughter, and then his daughter goes, no, I was putting the moves on him. Also, I want to point out, <laughs> he's going to send her to camp? Yeah. <laughs> well, no no sexual activity happens at camp. Well, he, he says it's going to be an all-girls camp, and I'm just like, oh, yeah, because uh, definitely no, one, no, no girl learns anything about herself at an all-girls camp. <laughs> uh... <laughs> But she, there's never been a story of an all girls camp meeting up with an all boys camp in the middle of the night in the middle of the woods. Nothing's going to happen. It's an all girls camp across the lake from an all boys camp. The only way that any of them could mingle was if, I don't know, some of them knew how to swim or maybe if there were some canoes or something. But the teenage counselors are keeping very good track of the kids. <laughs> 
Yeah, so, okay, but she makes the point that she's a girl boss and she was putting the moves on him. So we can debate whether or not he the gamed her or, or he did not. I don't want to. Um, yeah, let's keep going. <laughs> there's... Oh, there's a phone call. Wait, well, uh, it's one of the. Re- yeah. I just one other thing. He does notice in the middle okay. of his freak out that in the fish tank now there are multiple very large fish that he has stolen from the pond. Yes. Okay. Uh, he gets a phone call. Yes. Uh, it's the Russian's right hand man. Um, says that uh, coffee is soaring and that the Russian mafia guy thinks he screwed him yet again. That they they decided. So this is where you really. <laughs> as a child have to keep up with the with the complicated nature of this web of negotiation yes okay they sold the coffee futures uh to the russian mafia um four million dollars yes uh they were taking a loss an initial loss yes then they said you know what no um we're we're it dipped we don't want you to lose money so here's your million dollars back now it's gone back up They've bought the. At, at the end of the day, I'm like, is anyone actually losing any money? I here? yeah, I yeah, I I just again like a million dollars is just exchanged back and forth. It doesn't seem like anyone's actually lost anything. I, I, yeah, it's just friends Venmoing the same twenty bucks back and forth over and over. <laughs> I mean, only in '97 Venmo was a briefcase. Yeah, exactly, and and the, and the money was a bunch of certificates that somehow denote ownership of the potential value of coffee. It, it's, <laughs> yeah, it, it's very. And again, it doesn't have to be coffee futures. That's one thing that I need. Like coffee, at no point plays into the movie. Like I get that Tim Allen's character had to be a businessman, but they could have chosen literally any more tangible subplot than this but yep. this was a specific choice it has to be commodity futures <laughs> so okay but oh, so God. so now the russians are mad because they think that they knew that the price of coffee was going to go up so now the russians are coming to get revenge they the they're already on their way to to martin's house and basically. the right the right hand man is calling from a hospital where he's heavily bandaged so we the children in the audience uh, are know that okay something something coffee these violent people have already grievously injured this person and are now coming to kill this entire family. Let's eat some more Mike and Ikes and continue. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, uh, he's so Martin's freaking out and trying to get everyone to leave, but because of the fight between him and his daughter, she won't come out of his, her room, and Mimi Siku sneaks in there, and Tim's on his way over, and he shows up, and, and Ma- they're Martin both trying to break this door down. Th- there are a bunch of really funny bits of Martin Short trying to break the door down, running down the hall, throwing himself at the door, and just full-on bouncing off of it, which is... Just good physical comedy. Like this is, this is the closest we get to the Martin Short that that I want. Yeah, yeah. Well, the Martin Short that I want is Jiminy Glick, but yeah. uh, that's another story. True, true. Um. Anyway, so Mimi Siku sneaks into the room and he gets kind of a laugh at Martin trying to do all this stuff, and he says, "Okay, I can hear my dad out there now. Um, uh, it's time to make peace." And so. And- uh, very quickly, outside, as this is happening, Tim and Martin Short are talking. Tim is telling Martin Short to calm down. Martin Short goes on this rant about how, I've been a father for 12 years. You only became a father a couple days ago. Being oh, yeah. a father is worrying about your kids all the time. I'm worried about my daughter and this and my daughter and that. And I'm worried about my son, Andrew, and his crooked teeth. And Andrew, his young son, is standing there. And he says, no offense, Andrew. And Andrew goes, no, none taken, which is funny. And it sets up <laughs> my the, the the second funniest part of the movie for me. Anyway, at this point... Okay. All right. Tim, well, Tim and well, yeah. 
if we're if we're pausing here to because there is another kind of important thing that happens here in the midst of uh, his little rant here first of all he has a line that i thought was really funny because tim calls him an idiot and he goes i'm a parent therefore i'm an idiot yeah 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 <laughs> um and then he says none of this means anything to you because in three days your son will be gone and then we cut to a shot of tim actually looking a little wounded the camera pushes in on him and you we it's just one of these like little ear markers of uh the the character arc of uh what Tim's going through in this movie. Yes. Yes. And so then from this Tim and Martin Short both take a run at the door to knock it down at the last minute. You guessed it, Mimi Siku opens the door. Tim and Martin go running straight through the room, go crashing off the balcony, fall down to the ground and crash through a picnic table. Just kind of kind of pro wrestling level uh <laughs> backyard wrestling was just taken off at this time too uh well they are in a backyard so uh then finally they're pulling everything together to leave but uh-oh the russians arrive and take everybody hostage they it was kind of honestly this this jarred me a little bit like they're all like okay great we're all gathered together you know he already sent uh the wife out to start the car and get ready and as he opens the front door to to go meet you know, to get in the car with her. Um, she's just like right there with, <laughs> with the Russians. It, it was like, Oh my God, what? <laughs> I, it's, it, yeah, she's there with the Russians. They, and is terrified. They lead them in. They tie Martin short to a chair and you know, they, Martin shorts, son, Andrew tells them where <laughs> rope him to a chair. Yes. Rope, him. rope me to a chair. <laughs> and, Martin Short's son, Andrew, tells them, you know, okay, the coffee, you know, they're looking for the coffee certificates. Andrew tells him where they, where they are. Martin Short is like not wanting. He just rats him out. Well, yeah, but also Martin, Martin Short is like seemingly reluctant to give them this information. But what the fuck do you care about the, just like, don't get killed, whatever. So they find the coffee certificates and then, and then it's like, okay, great. So you guys will leave now. And they, and the Russian is saying, no, 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 I, you humiliated me. I have to show you what happens to people who humiliate me. So in this PG-13 children's film, this big burly man is advancing on tied up Martin Short with a knife, goes, going over to his hand to cut his fingers off. The point of the knife, yeah, the close in up. close up, point of the knife touching Martin Short's skin as he is like whimpering, as his whole family is held hostage, He's, forced to watch. It, it, it's it's worse than that because he has the knife and he goes over each finger. He goes okay, this one I don't know, maybe this one, and he moves from like the pinky to the ring finger, and then he goes, no, how about this one? No, you're gonna and, need that for the traffic, which is the middle finger. Uh, okay, and by the way, uh, the, the whole time this is happening, the music in the background is like it's just funny comedy comedy slapstick music like isn't this funny he's gonna lose his fingers his children will be traumatized forever meanwhile uh, tim and mimi siku have uh escaped the the you know the hostage situation people yeah um yeah they're they're out back and all of a sudden mimi siku gets an idea oh my god i know i know what to do and um gets his spider <laughs> goes yep. upstairs to the balcony and and uh, I'll take out. Yeah, I don't want yeah, you to go have for to... it. Go for it. <laughs> okay. He decides this is the way that I'm going to solve this situation. I'm going to throw the spider just downstairs and hope it does something. And it happens to land on the back of um, uh, the main Russian gangster, and it crawls up his back and onto his bald head. <laughs> and um, he looks around and. Uh, 
looks in the mirror, sees that he has a spider on his head, <laughs> and freaks out that he has a spider on him. And mm-hmm. all of a sudden, this this uh, scary mobster is <laughs> well. <laughs> let's not forget this part. He he's freaking out. He starts acting like a you know uh, big air quotes here a little girl. Yeah. Um, with this thing and his right hand man just like pulls out a gun and points it at his head yeah yep he does disney movie (laughs) um and so this chaos then ensues like at this point because the the family isn't being watched everyone jumps up and starts attacking the mobsters yeah and everyone's fighting the wife is fighting them the daughter's fighting them uh andrew the little boy is is attacking one of the mobsters and Martin Short is still Spiny. tied up. No, no, this is the bit. He's he's holding on to the mobster's leg. Andrew is, and this is my this is probably my favorite line from the movie. We hear this off screen, so I feel like it was definitely improvised by Martin Short. You just hear him going, "Bite him, Andrew. Use those crooked teeth." <laughs> it's just I don't know. It's just it, I, that I feel like Martin Short just ad libbed it and they kept it in, but it's too good. It's too, it's too good to forget. <laughs> um, in the chaos, the gun goes flying by Martin Short's feet. Mm-hmm. He picks it up at one point and he's trying to get you know uh, shot off on someone. It doesn't work. Uh, the mom is on the back of someone. Tim says, "Tim, Tim, it's just like you could just stay outside." Yeah, <laughs> you don't have to get involved in this. Yeah, it looks like yeah. they might not have it under control, but you're not going to contribute to anything. My, but he's like, no, I think I'm going to contribute. <laughs> my 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 child and the two other children seem to have this situation under control. I, the adult man, will kind of hang back. But he's got the blow dart gun, and he tries yep. to shoot the guy who the wife is piggybacking on. And instead, the blow dart hits the wife directly between one of the eyes and knocks her a- out terrifying like this is a moment that like it's just missing the blood but the shot construction the the dart entering the head all of it is like on par with the shit that i watch week after week in horror movies you could re you could recut this movie into a trailer that makes it look like a horror movie like the same way that <laughs> oh yeah the same way that some sort of home invasion movie yeah exactly like the same the same way that you can re, that there's like that recut of the shining trailer that makes it look like a romantic comedy you could recut jungle to jungle right. to make it look like a really awful horror movie about spiders and torture and animal mutilation uh, like we have to talk uh, about Mimi Siku. <laughs> more scuffling, pots being hit, and everyone. Yeah, falls well, they, over they, and yeah, the, blah, blah, blah. The, yeah. The the good guys win. The Russians are, are subdued. They chase them out to the car. Like Martin Short has a gun, and Mimi Siku's threatening them with the spider. They all get into the car and drive away. And nobody seems to consider maybe we should call the police about the people who violently invaded our home. I guess they did kind of do stock frauds, <laughs> so maybe the cops wouldn't help. <laughs> If there's one thing we know about gangsters and Russia, Russian gangsters, it's uh, you know that once they've been beat, they're certainly not ever going to come back. I mean, you you yeah, they felt a little bit of humiliation about the outcome of the coffee futures trade, and that led them to come back and try and cut your fingers off. Now that you've grievously humiliated them in a violent fashion, I'm sure they'll stay away for good. <laughs> I've seen Eastern Promises. <laughs> uh, yeah, this is uh, not that. So anyway, so everybody 
everybody leaves and Mimi Siku and Martin Short's daughter have kind of a heartfelt moment. And then Tim is like, hey, come on, Mimi Siku, I'm going to take you someplace. I want to point out, it probably sounds like you and I are losing a little bit of steam at the end of this, but no, it's really the movie. The movie the, is unraveling in its coherency. The, the, yeah, the, the I feel like they were writing this movie on the way to the set, and they had like <laughs> yes. they had an hour long drive, and at the very and they were getting to like the last five minutes of the drive, and they finished the mafia fight, and it's like, uh, how do we end it? How do we end it? How do we end it? So. <laughs> Yeah, he just says... How do, how do they end it, Truman? Hey, Mimi Siku, I'm going to take you someplace. He says goodbye to the daughter. They get in the car. They drive away. It's Tim and Mimi Siku on the boat to the Statue of Liberty. Well, okay, mm-hmm. we've already been to the Statue of Liberty, so I don't know what resonance this has going a second <laughs> no time. no more significance. Tim is yep. all excited, but Mimi Siku is sad now, and he says, Dad, I want to go home. Well, why do you want to go home? I didn't get the fire from the Statue of Liberty. The fire isn't real. Uh, so I failed. He he was sitting on the head of the Statue of Liberty and noticed that the fire wasn't real like an hour of screen time ago. Like he's known two days ago in movie time. <laughs> yeah, like he he was he was dancing in the park joyfully with Tim, knowing full well that the fire on the Statue of Liberty wasn't real. Like he was he was kissing a girl and catching fish by moonlight, knowing that the Statue of Liberty fire wasn't real, and it was not upsetting to him at all because oh well, there's other things in the movie that have to happen now. Yeah, yeah. So, I want to go home. I have to go home. And uh, Tim is like, "Oh, well, I mean, uh okay, I'll okay." Well, there there is one line here that I kind of like that shows Tim's, you know, uh arc here. You know, through this whole thing, he's shown now concern for Mimi Siku his thing. He's, you know, sort of lamenting the idea of like, "Oh, well, why do you want to go home? I'm just starting to have fun with you because this is still all about me no matter what." But yep. when when Mimi Siku says, um the fire wasn't real. Uh, I, you know, I failed. Tim kind of like has a moment and says, uh, you know, the, fi- the fire, it, it's in you. Yeah. You know, and touches his chest and he goes, the chief knows that. Yeah. And I thought that was kind of like for as little poignancy as this movie is even capable of this idea that like the chief sent him on this thing, knowing that he needed to see the world and have an adventure and, have a, a real male authority figure in his father uh, in this. I mean, it's not at all played out thematically throughout the rest of the movie, but this one little hint at the end was like, oh, okay. Just a I'm taste. I'm with that. Just a taste, yeah. Yeah. It's a little little nugget of what could potentially one day grow to be quality inside of a, uh, <laughs> a gigantic wrapping of dung. Uh, but yeah, Mimi Siku is insistent, I want to go home, and Tim says, eh. Okay, yeah, whatever. Ah, well, you got to do what you got to do. So from there, hard cut to them at the airport. Tim has <laughs> Tim has walked Mimi Siku to the gate because, hey, it's not 9-11. Uh, and he's... Uh, he's <laughs> it's certainly not 9-11 because he still has his shiver of arrows protruding out of his backpack. And Tim hands him a blow dart back, says, hey, here you go. I think you're going to want this back. Air- airport security is just getting a hug and from, like, a, a cop, basically. That's that's all it is. Oh, blow dart gun. That's cool. All right. Promise not to use that Mimi on anybody. Si- <laughs> Mimi Siku says, no, you keep the, the, the blow dart gun. Uh, dart blow gun, whatever the fuck it's called. Um, and I'll tell you what, if you kill a fly, you'll be a real Pinari. Yeah. Um, and Tim says, all right, okay, I, yeah, I hear what you're saying. You're giving me a cha- a man challenge. Yeah, he says... he says Man that, challenge accepted. Yes, uh, you know, I'll 
I'll come down one day and I'll used to hunt with you. And Mimi Siku goes, you'll never come down. And he's definitely <laughs> douche chilling uh, Tim the way that he should have been this entire time. Uh, and Tim gives Mimi Siku a Statue of Liberty cigarette lighter because yeah. it's got fire. And another present that he says open, open on the plane. Yes. And also giving a kid a cigarette lighter. Like, he totally just like he found that in the airport. And yeah, he's like, hey, Statue of Liberty. I that I could be a thing. I've right? bought. I've bought. <laughs> that's what he was here for. I've bought a lot of souvenirs like that, kind of in the airport on my in the airport when I arrived back at home, getting a getting a thing at duty free. <laughs> um, yeah. So Tim watches Mimi Siku get on the plane. Tim is big yep. sad. Um, <laughs> on the plane, Mimi Siku opens the gift. It's a satellite phone with a huge battery pack. And the plane takes off, and uh-huh. back home, Tim is trying to rekindle things with his fiance. He's suggesting, oh, we could do a yeah. getaway someplace nice. Yeah, let's leave. She doesn't, she just, she don't want to. She don't want to do it. It's not good, not a good time for me. It's not a good time for the photographer. And yep. Tim's like, well, okay. If it's not a good time for the photographer, then. Yep. And thus begins his frown. Yes. Um, and, and, and now we Tim, go to the office. Tim, Tim kind of repeats here what his old wife did to him which is oh i can see this person isn't involved in me i guess i'm just going to walk away from the relationship and assume they won't notice we cut to the office tim is depressed and how do we know that he walks through the office as he walks through the office halls uh the movie is suggesting i i think through his sadness and depression that something's something's wrong that Mm -hmm. tim is you know feeling feelings Maybe mm-hmm. for the first time in his life. Perhaps. And, you know, he, he's walking by and he gives a, a strained and empty smile to a co-worker uh, trying to force those, you know, interactional, you know, transactional politeness things that you do in your everyday life. And, and that this is just a, a problem mm-hmm. that needs to be fixed because why should a man ever feel feelings uh, that no good aren't, reason. you know empowering to him yeah um and uh i just i I wanted to capture you know there's just this long single shot of him walking down this hallway um and it just it it really showed me that's like everyone of that generation is like i don't know i wanted i want to show this to everyone of the like the boomer generation that's like this is what most people in every generation younger than you deal with on a normal basis this one moment this fleeting moment that you're like i'm so bummed in this one single second of my life (laughs) that for most younger generations go through 24 hours a day of these transactional sadnesses (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Because of what you set up for them in coffee futures and other Wall Street <laughs> bullshit, um, it's a it's a good thing that you were you know, <laughs> it's a good thing you were so busy chasing coffee futures and not figuring out how to stop climate change. So in turn, we yeah. have to be big sad all the time, and not just because <laughs> our jungle. You have to live with the constant anxiety and disappointment and turmoil and that things never quite seemingly turn out how they should but they're always just quite out of reach but sure fine you know play this play this moment yeah and hey for you and you, you take you take a bur- take a breather yeah and you hey, need to feel a few things and if they and if things aren't working out for you hey you can just quit your job and go to the jungle spoiler alert uh <laughs> yeah so uh tim's uh, you know, Tim's big sad. His boss is big happy because the coffee futures are now super valuable. So he suggests they take the trading documents to the trading floor and make some money. And so he takes this is this is one of the most confounding moments of the movie. Yeah, 
When he what? When he says uh, money is of honey. everything we've covered. Yeah. <laughs> they go down to the the floor, and Tim's down there, and he's not interested in his job anymore. Because why exactly? I don't know. I don't know exactly, but he's not interested in his job anymore. And as his boss is excited because the coffee futures are on the rise again, um, Tim in this midst of this chaos <laughs> sees a single sees fly. A fly sees a single fly buzzing around and he's he he pulls out he pulls out a weapon on the floor on of the New York Stock Exchange <laughs> and shoots an arrow or shoots um, a, a dart. Bl- blow dart yeah and it matrixes through, through the room like evil dead camera bullet twist all wanted yeah through people Pe- and hits the fly Number, what, 16 uh, animal death in this movie? Yeah, so many creatures went extinct in the in the production of this movie. Uh, hits his boss on the back. His boss really orgasmically falls asleep. It's the most relaxed he's ever been. Tim picks up the, the fly, sees that it is, he got it straight through with the dart, and he is so proud. Yep. Um, cut two. Now, and, yeah, he tried. Tim. In Venezuela. Tim does not care at all, by the way, that he just fully incapacitated his boss. Also, I will point out, Tim has never shown even the slightest proficiency with the blowgun up until even two scenes before, and now suddenly with no practice whatsoever, he's just become perfect. Okay, cut to the village. Yep. Uh, Village. Um, Mom is trying to teach Mimisiku how to read better. Um, The satellite phone rings. It's Tim. He says, hey, listen, I nailed a fly. Really? Really? (laughs) <laughs> which was like a really sweet genuine reaction and he's like yeah i'll show you sometime how about right now uh and tim says turn around and he looks and he's on his cell phone on the shore of the beach the call is and coming from wanna, inside he, the village <laughs> this is 1997 we're talking satellite phones how expensive is this <laughs> this phone call he's making this has to be like a hundred dollars tim tim used all of his coffee futures money to make that one call i hope the bit was worth it <laughs> mimi siku is not going to college uh there's a reunion there's a hug it's a thing tim then pulls the fly that's still on the dart out of his pocket i just want <laughs> the logic of that that he flew the whole the way fly there on <laughs> fly on the dart out of his boss putting it into his pocket, preserving it while he packed, flew across 3,000 miles with this thing in his pocket, making sure that the fly didn't disintegrate, didn't fall off, didn't get squished. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So that he can arrive on the shore and pull it flawlessly out of his pocket and show it to his kid. Yeah. (laughs) It's, I guess that's supposed to signify that now suddenly he cares a lot about being a dad, I guess, that he's able to keep this this fly on a uh, fly on a dart completely intact for a 20-hour flight. Uh so Mimi Siku then asks uh oh well, he's also brought a pot for Mimi Siku because as they I, and I still don't I don't even remember what the fuck that was okay, about. Okay, because I still f- forgotten. Oh, maybe. Okay, he gave the pot to the girl earlier, and as as his mom I mean, explains, I that. as his mom explains, a pot in the village is like giving a girl flowers. Giving someone a pot is a romantic gesture. Uh, so he then, you know, so he gives this pot to Mimi Siku so he can give it to someone. Mimi Siku says, "Oh, how's Karen?" He says, "I don't know. Why don't you ask her?" Cut to another boat rolling up with Martin short and his whole family on it martin short freaking out about every aspect of this covered in sunscreen 
Martin Short's wife why? saying, why, "Why is Martin Short's family here?" I I don't know. <laughs> why, why is Martin Short in Venezuela? How do how do you convince Martin Short? Hey, you know that that kid who you were totally freaked out about being close to your daughter. Do you guys want to fly to the uh, you know outermost reaches of the earth so he can spend more time with your daughter? Um. <laughs> Anyway, it makes no sense. I mean, Tim is the one that went through this thing, and like, it's even contrived for Tim to decide to go back to Venezuela to get a man who has no connection to Venezuela at all um, to go and do something. Like Martin Short hasn't given up on his job. No, not at all. Martin Short hasn't felt like he needs a vacation. Ma- Martin-, Martin Short hasn't hasn't celebrated the coffee futures. Yeah, Martin Short's <laughs> Martin Short's boss just got tranquilized and passed out. And Tim ran off. Presumably Martin Short has to clean up that fucking mess back at work. Um, so there. Oh, my God. But, okay, so they, you know, Mimi Siku sees Rachel on the boat, and he goes running into the water, and Rachel jumps into the water, and they have a loving reunion in the water, and I guess the piranhas have the day off. Um, and so here's the thing. I told you earlier, way, 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 way earlier, to take notes on the fact that Mimisiku was, you know, Tim sees him in the first scenes in the village giving a pot to a girl and sitting on a hammock with her. So yeah. this girl still lives in the village, and now Mimisiku's American girlfriend has just shown up and is Mimisiku... Well, he did say to Tim, you, you, you choose one woman? Okay, I mean, I'm just saying... There's a whole other movie here about, like, maybe, look, maybe Mimi Siku's other lady in the village gets this, but does uh, does Martin Short's daughter understand that she's entering into a relationship with a guy with no concept of monogamy? Like, this is a much more interesting movie than the, the long collection of spider jokes and animal torture <laughs> and uh, commodity futures <laughs> jargon that we just watched, is watching Mimi Siku and Martin Short's daughter trying to figure everything out. Um, yeah. So anyway, uh, and then Tim uh, and Patricia look at each other and share this loving look, and Tim kind of waves at her, and then we get a freeze frame on Tim. Well, Tim, <laughs> God, I can't even. We're at the end, and I can't even get through it. Tim waves to Patricia, but he doesn't realize he has the pot in his hand, so he's basically waving in a romantic gesture at him, and she kind of raises her eyebrows like, really? You really want to go through with this again? Oh, boy, here we go. And Tim goes, oh, God, I didn't mean to do that, and then gives the most sheepish shrug and and grin, and we freeze frame on such an awkward photo of Tim. Yes. Um, We go into the credits. Tim is dressed like a tribesman, and then takes... The challenge to grab the embers and then pretends to be a man and then runs off screaming. It, it's it's this sequence that we get during the credits of Tim like in the loincloth. This is clearly a scene that they shot for the ceremony sequence earlier in the movie before Mimi Siku comes to New York. And they cut it for time, but then thought Tim grabbing glowing embers and freaking out and running and, and having to care for his burnt hand was too funny to not put in the movie so let's put it in the credits. Let's put one last moment of human peril and pain and suffering into this movie. <laughs> I love that that's what you took away from it. Um, then the credits continue to roll. We got some world music, and it's, uh, it's, a, it's a thing. Yep. Um, yep. And this is the energy we're ending <laughs> this long fucking episode. When every time we do one of these, I'm like, maybe this time we won't go for hours and yet we always do um even i think we i think we get longer every time 
I, we have been talking for three hours. Oh, God damn it. I didn't even want to look at the Zoom recorder lest I lest I find out our shame. Um, folks, don't watch Jungle to Jungle. Don't watch Little don't Indian listen. Big Single. Stop listening to this episode. Yeah, like, just, like, folks, folks, do, this... We can. We have successfully found out through making this podcast the same thing that the Disney company should have found out, which is that the premise of this movie doesn't work, and no one should watch it or invest any time in it. Although, if you do want to reach a place of zen uh, and completely clear your mind, maybe watch Little Indian Big City. Okay, well, uh, but then you're not allowed to watch any more uh, Roger Ebert reviews. <laughs> read anymore yeah right yeah um so i I don't know you gotta you know maybe that's a price to pay for reaching uh a new plateau of uh of spirituality um yeah okay i got some things to say truman yeah what do you got to say landon uh i don't even care if there's nothing we didn't cover i'm just gonna end the episode by saying uh (laughs) we've got um uh our season finale is coming up. Uh, our big super spectacular that Woo. we do, and I just want to remind people that um, we are doing a good bad takeaway from Home Improvement. We want your perspective. Um, I don't want to glaze over this too much, but you know I've said this in every episode now, so you can kind of get the importance uh, that I've put on this in other episodes. But um, it's very important to me to learn other perspectives on what people take away from the show. We've gotten some great responses so far. Um, I really want to encourage you to uh, to engage with this. We'll be reading um, a selection of them on our Super Spectacular, as well as Truman and me giving out some of our thoughts on uh, what uh, Home Improvement has done well and maybe not so well over the years so that we can kind of reassess and enter into the new season with uh, a new frame of mind. Yes. Um, you can do all of that uh, by emailing us at info uh, at gruntworkpodcast.com or we have a contact form on our website, which is www.gruntworkpodcast.com. <laughs> Always ready. You can never get Always me. Ready. You can never get me. I nailed a fly. <laughs> Uh, or you can hit us up on our social media, um, Twitter or Instagram at gruntworkpod. Uh, also as of this episode, you can, you can maybe if you shouldn't have waited to this episode for three hours into it, but, um, uh, as of this episode, you can go to Twitter and vote in our Twitter poll for the people's choice MVP. Uh, go, we have a, a two tweet thread, uh, two different polls running consecutively i just had to do it that way to get the entire cast out there but make sure you check out both tweets um you know for all of your your voting options get out there vote let us know who you think is season six's people's choice mvp great last thing i want to say is um our super spectacular this year is going to be live live virtually virtually (laughs) on discord discord So, uh, so if you haven't already, sign up for Discord, join our account, um, join our channel. Uh, you can get that link on our Twitter, our website, our newsletter. Um, we, this is going to be our third time doing it, and it's been a blast the, the previous times doing it. So um, very much looking forward to that. You can get um, the results of the People's Choice MVP, our MVP debate, all the fun, super fun things that we do with some surprises for our Super Spectacular. That is coming up on October 3rd. Um, Check it out. Yes, do it. Check it out. I dare you to check it out. (laughs) Grant work is made possible by our patrons. If you enjoyed today's episode, if you tolerated today, if you made it to this point in today's episode, 
<laughs> and aren't deterred from helping us create this show, uh, consider becoming an official Grunthead sponsor over at patreon.com slash gruntworkpod, where you will get access for as little as a dollar to our entire Gruntwork Nights catalog. Uh, we're well over 150 episodes there now, oh, so God, that's lots frightening. of stuff to listen to. <laughs> if, if you dare. Um, if you dare. Uh, or it leaves a rating review over at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts because it's the fastest and freest way to... Uh, support us and goes a long way to help others find the show. Stop by to say hi to us on Twitter or Instagram at GruntworkPod or visit our website, which is www.gruntworkpodcast.com. Second time, can't stop me. <laughs> Two flies, just like the movie, where you can also see other information on today's episode and be able to sign up for our weekly newsletter to be notified whenever new episodes are released. And until next week, when we bring you for Richer or Poorer, Ooh. I've been Lana Solano. I've been Truman Caps. And remember, if you're a pregnant woman who's left her husband to live in the wilderness with a tribe of indigenous South Americans, either teach your child English or teach them the local native language, but don't teach them some weird pigeon English because that's not doing anybody any favors. <laughs> <laughs>